0: And the award for Best BYU Radio Program goes to The Matt Townsend Show. The host
1: of the program, Dr. Matt Townsend, accepting the award. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank the little people who make uh, this possible. Those that uh, are willing to listen to this wonderful programming every single day. Thank you. Thank you to the academy, M- Matt, and to my Matt? coworkers, Matt. There's John, been a mistake.
0: Yeah. What? What you, did, what? You what? what? you didn't. You didn't win. Huh? There's been a mistake. I, I'm holding the card in my hand right here. Oh, brother! It says that the winner was actually behind
1: the garage door. Oh man! So uh, they they won. Who was it? Accounting? Was it the accounting firm? Yeah, we got to fire PwC. <laughs> Are you kidding? Behind? Oh,
0: geez. Okay. It's going to make Don very happy when he comes in. How funny that Don's.
1: uh, Whatever. Okay. So let's just begin the show then. Welcome everybody to the show. That's sad.
0: Aren't you happy for him?
1: Yeah, good luck, guys. That's great.
0: But you you wish somebody probably would have interrupted you before you gave your acceptance (laughs) speech, right? How does that
1: happen? How did that happen to the Oscars? Are you kidding me? They'll that... be talking about it all day. <sighs> what do you think? You're the, you were watching it. This was your I, big. I could moment. not sleep. Have really? you seen La La
0: Land? Though yeah, I've seen La La Land. The ending of La La Land goes very well with the
1: ending yeah. of the Oscars. Leaves you hanging, like oh, unsettled a bit. Like hmm, yeah. So Moonlight won the big picture. Yep. It won Best Picture, it won Best
0: Supporting Actor, and it won Best Adapted Screenplay. See? Three. Three, three out of eight. How many did La La Land end up winning? Because everyone thought that would be the big sweep. Well, originally it won seven out of the 14, but then
1: moments later it was only six out of the 14. <laughs> See, we got so much to talk about. We will get into all of the Oscar talk and hype. Um and some of the – there's just a lot of interesting stories coming out of Hollywood. I didn't see it, but everyone I was listening to on the radio was talking about Jimmy Kimmel bringing in a busload of people. That was one of the coolest parts of the show, I thought. And it was
0: great just to see the celebrities. Uh, you could you could hear the unease when he announced that he was going to do that. They're all just like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Regular
1: people. Regular humans in the room. So he just brought in a tour bus, basically. Yeah. We'll talk about that. We'll get to that. I want to I want to hear the update on all of that and what you thought. I mean, did did the people you thought would win win? We'll get to all that fun. Plus, of course, uh, headlines today um, with Terry. Plus, we'll be talking with Joe Cannon about the um, just about all things political. He's Joe in the know, we call him. And we're going to run everything by him. There's a big speech coming uh, this week from President Trump. Plus, the DNC chose their head. How does that look? I'd love to also follow up on the Supreme Court. What's uh, How's that looking and what, what do we think will happen in the next few weeks on that? So all that fun ahead with Joe Cannon. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country?
2: The Jewish... Excuse me, a Jewish cemetery in Philadelphia was vandalized less than a week after a similar incident in Missouri. More than 100 headstones were damaged at the Mount Carmel Cemetery. Police said Sunday members of the Philadelphia Quaker, Muslim, and Jewish communities worked to repair the vandalism Sunday afternoon. At least 28 people were injured as a man drove a truck into a crowd at a Mardi Gras parade in New Orleans Saturday night. The driver of the truck, who's in custody, hit two cars before ramming into a crowd is believed to have been highly intoxicated the police say Mm. none of the injuries are life-threatening but five people were seriously hurt Harrison the police spokesperson added that there is no evidence yet that the incident amounted to terrorism I would add that homegrown terrorism is a thing too Uh, White House press Secretary Sean Spicer reportedly uh, uh, connected intelligence officials to reporters in an effort to discredit an unfavorable New York Times story from February 15th about contact with Russia this according to uh axios media spicer even allegedly st- stayed on the phones during some of the conversations the Times story has spicer calling members of the senate select intelligence committee and the cia director who he then connected to the wall street journal and the washington post another report over the weekend had uh, white house uh, sean spicer uh holding staff uh he called them phone checks looking to root out the leakers in the white house Spicer reportedly warned staffers that the meeting should not be spoken about outside the White House. The phone check meeting was promptly leaked to the media. So the telling them not
1: to leak, they leaked yeah. while he was checking their phones. Yes. But don't tell anybody.
2: Don't tell anybody. Uh, Pro- President Trump's pick for the Navy secretary announced Sunday that he was withdrawing from his consideration the post over privacy concerns and his business interest businessman Philip Blyden uh, ha- has thus become the second Trump nominee to step aside as a result of conflict of interest rules mm. uh, the move leaves Trump and defense secretary Jim Mattis with them deposed the both the head of the army and the Navy with the army nominee withdrawing earlier this month so you know back to the drawing board find somebody <laughs> else they both looked at it and said they they can't fulfill the requirements of separating themselves from their business so yeah how
1: do you I, I guess that's the downside of asking business people in yeah so they said okay you know, i can't, I can't do this. separate
2: yeah, this. nothing nothing wrong nothing bad right, Just right. They couldn't at apartments. least they're honest about it right and according to uh delta dental's 13th annual tooth fairy survey oh cash payouts have soared during the past year to an all-time high average of four dollars 66 cents a tooth are That's you serious a 75 a 70 cent increase from in 2015 that's crazy. And it, Almost five bucks a tooth. They say it's not just exciting news for the kids. The Tooth Fairy generosity has historically been a good indicator of the economy.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So,
2: you know, up. Last year, Tooth Fairy paid out $290 million in the U.S. for lost teeth, according to the survey. A 13% <laughs> increase from in 2015. Cash payouts for a first lost tooth are up about 10% to $572. 1st tooth payouts are typically higher than average. Are you a two hundred ninety million dollar enterprise? This well, Tooth Fairy, yeah, Tooth Fairy is amazing, just raking it in. It says according to the poll, the Tooth Fairy visits eighty five percent of the nation's households with children, and in eighty nine percent of those homes, leaves money. But fifty six percent of the parents say the Tooth Fairy can be a little forgetful, neglecting to pick up the tooth on the first night.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. There's probably a there's too many teeth out there
2: now. It says 48 percent of children put the money away. They save the money instead Great. of spending it. The other half, unless you're my kid, just buy more just candy, burning a hole in your pocket. According to the poll, the two three visits. Uh, let's see, the highest payouts are in the West. Apparently, <laughs> five dollars ninety six cents. It's six eighty nine for a first tooth. Really? Yeah. Not in my house, but that's just, no that's way what the poll is. Uh, followed by the northeast at five dollars eight cents, six thirty one for a first tooth, and the south is four fifty seven, <laughs> and four eighty eight for a first tooth. Midwest four oh four, cheapskate. I mean,
1: yeah, if you're gonna lose your, I mean, the kids out there, if you want to lose your teeth, head west, child. Yeah,
2: Midwest four dollars. Yeah,
1: who's gonna give a, a tooth for four bucks?
2: My kid got a dollar. Is, is there is there a different you know tooth it is? Of tooth I think it's what's if what's the happening? tooth
1: fairy has changed that night. Really? I always realized that we, our Tooth Fairy would end up giving what they had in change. Huh. But like if if the Tooth Fairy only now, had a 20.
2: The other thing, why aren't these round numbers?
1: The why tooth, is it like $5.96?
2: Yeah. Who's Are people tossing pennies to the Tooth Fairy and the Tooth Fairy? I mean, that's why it's change. change. It's just whatever yeah. they can
1: find in the couch. You know what though?
0: Why isn't everybody just giving a quarter or 50 cents? These kids don't have a concept of how much $5 is. They don't.
1: Mine do. But just give them a nap. You
2: may well, as well just give them an nap. Your
0: kids are losing their teeth at 15 and 16, though. Yes. So
2: That's more because of Kool-Aid. But, um,
1: that's a big business.
2: We go to the store. My son grabs a stuffed animal. He goes, I really want this. I really want this stuffed animal. And I go, okay, how much is it? And he looks at it he goes, I don't know. So then you have the little lesson about the price tag. It's makes.
1: two and a half teeth, son. And
2: it's like $6. And I go, well... That would be, how many, how many, how much money do you have? He goes, I have $3. And they go, how many teeth is that? He goes, that's three. <laughs> right, well, how many more teeth is this? And he goes, that'd be three more teeth. And oh, good, good. So would you want to let them fall out naturally or should we go over and get some pliers?
3: Let's. Do you want me to punch you in the face? Like, and he's <laughs> like,
2: he's like. I think we'll just let it happen. I don't want to have him pulled out. Okay, good. And then we leave. And so there's no
1: fight. Your poor son is going to be...
2: He learns math at the grocery store.
1: Well, no, but now he's terrorized that he's going to start missing teeth. His teeth are going to fall out from fear. Like, you'll be at a register, and you'll be a dollar short, and you'll just look over at your son, and he'll be like, Dad...
2: Here, give me one. I need a (laughs) dollar.
1: It's going to cost you. You only give... I mean, sorry. The Tooth Fairy only gives (coughs) your child a dollar a tooth? Yeah. What, what kind of tooth fairy is that?
2: That's what I'm asking. Is there a, that is is a, there a cheap a, tooth is, fairy. Is there a union situation yeah. where some are unionized? Yeah. Southern, are, is there a free Follow market going on? Follow the chart
1: on? you just read. Nah. If you live in the West, it's five bucks, five plus. Maybe five for the molar. Mm, that kid worked hard on the molar. Yeah. They do all the work anyway. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> Except like your uh, canines. Those are important.
2: One more thought. My wife saw one of these x-rays of a kid's skull. Oh, yeah? And you see, like, where all the adult the teeth, teeth yeah. are versus the bait She's totally freaked out.
1: Why? Are they coming in the wrong place? No,
2: everything's fine. She just now looks at my son and sees this skull of a child and all the <laughs> just, teeth, and it's just kind of scary. real and toothy. She's like, wow, their entire head is teeth. And I'm like, yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> Isn't that well, – wait till you find out that they're coming, like, through his ear. That's right. going to grow out wrong. And it's then... all right.
2: Traction. We'll get it. Oh, boy. Hook it up to the back of the car. Twist. Be good. Speaking of teeth – Let's get to the Oscars.
0: Oh, I love that segue. So we're watching the Oscars last night. I did not watch any of it. I I expect no less from you. <laughs> no more either. Um, so we're watching the Oscars, and I'm taking notes during the show because I realize I'm Matt's going to have me talk yeah, about this tomorrow sure. morning. So I'm writing down all the funny bits, all the cool moments from the Oscars. And in the scope of one minute, everything else that came before... The Best Picture Award winner yeah. was announced. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it, it just obliterated. Nothing obliterated. else mattered. It totally overshadowed everything that came before it. So let's play a little clip from what happened, and then I'll talk about. I'll explain just exactly what was going on.
1: It's my family, maman, papa, Jeff, homage I vous
4: adore. Matt Pluff. You kicked this off, and Damien Chazelle. We're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but, you know. <laughs> guys,
3: guys,
4: I'm sorry. No, there's a, mistake. There's, there's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. <laughs> Holy cow. This is not a joke. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is not a joke. Okay. Moonlight has won Best
0: Picture. Holding up a card that says Moonlight. Moonlight, Best Picture. Unbelievable. So, there were three producers for La La Land, three producers for... Moonlight. So you would think, what would happen when they got up there and there weren't the same number of Oscars to hand out, but there were the same number of award nominees. So all three of these gentlemen give their speeches. The third one is giving it. And it's funny, you can see something's going on in the background. There's this guy with a headset that's coming by and taking all of the cards from all of these winners. And my wife was like, that's rude. Can't they just let him give their speech? Yeah. Why do they have to come on and interrupt and steal the cards? Like, can't they keep those? Well, it turns out during the third presenter there, you heard it. He said, oh, we didn't win, by the way. So, you know. Oh, and goodness. then the first producer that had won the Oscar, he says, no, this really isn't a joke. And so you hear a little bit of applause. Yeah, because. People are still unsure. They don't know. Oh, is this a joke? Yeah. Are we being funny? And then he's like, no, this isn't a joke. Moonlight won. And a little more applause yeah, after yeah. that. Then he holds up the card. The producer of La La Land, not the producer of the Oscars, not anybody from PWC, not Warren Beatty or Faye Dunaway who presented the award, but the producer of La La Land holds up the card, points to it, says, Moonlight has won Best Picture. Is that who's there it that is. was? Holy yes. God.
1: Moonlight. There it is. Bam. Can you imagine how? I mean, ah, oh, that could not be worse. That is Miss Universe all over again.
0: Yes, and in fact, Jimmy Kimmel said, "You know what? I blame Steve Harvey for this." <laughs> Did he really? Say yeah. That? And so, you think when Warren Beatty opens the the uh, the envelope, you think, okay, he's just being funny. He's yeah. drawing this out, you know. And I thought it was funny. Oh, he looked in the envelope. That's cute. That's because funny. Because
1: he paused, didn't he? Pause. Yeah, he was Walton's like
0: reading. Uh, so then he hands it to Faye Dunaway and basically thinking, can you make sense of this? And she's like, oh. And you can hear her saying, oh, you're terrible. Here, let me... Hold on. You can hear that here. The
3: Academy Award.
0: Confusion. Looking through the envelope.
5: For best picture.
0: You're awful. You're awful. God. No, really. I don't know what la to do la land. So... They had been given an envelope for Emma Stone for Best Actress for Lala La Land. Oh my Which is God. why they thought Lala La Land had won. Was was that was that envelope supposed to be read earlier? It was read earlier when she won the Oscar. And then they put it back in the pile. So they or... there were either duplicate envelopes Holy or it cow. got reshuffled what around. A mistake. But uh yeah, it, it totally overshadowed everything yeah. that came before right. it. Um I you know, I was not too pleased that La La Land didn't win to tell you the truth. Yeah. And as it's going to be the one that everyone will watch for years. You can rewatch it. You yeah. saw Moonlight. I you saw said Moonlight. it was
1: depressing, it was, but it was it was incredibly. It was it's an incredible inside view of kind of the an inner city Miami boy's life with conflict of. Uh, you know, gender issue. I mean, um, same sex attraction issues, and it was it, it was interesting and drug use and really hard living. And so how very we all kind of make up. Very our, um... timely, timely, right? <laughs> well, no, not not like <laughs> it's not. But it was an incredible mind bender for the average you know white guy in the country that sure. needs to see. But would you ever really watch happening. it again?
0: No, no, you'd never watch it again. No, you know, and everybody who's seen La La Land has seen it multiple times. Yeah, that's one you'll you just play who didn't like, it. and it'll be on television all the
1: time, right?
0: And so I mean, that's, that's, that's more timeless. Yeah, that's right, totally. So we had we talked about this on Friday's show about Oscars biggest losers, and I predict that La La Land is going to be one of Oscars biggest losers. They lost Best Picture, yeah. but it's going to endure far beyond. Yeah, no, Moonlight. I think that's.
1: I think you're right on.
0: So as I took to Twitter to create the hashtag that. A million other people had already created, created. which is not my best picture. Uh-huh. uh I came across some very clever tweets about this what hilarious moment. So first of all, let's get to Fate Dunaway and Warren Beatty, who starred in the film uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Right. And their big catchphrase in the movie was... We rob banks. They would always introduce themselves to people and say, we rob banks. So somebody put a picture of them for the movie and said, we rob
3: Oscars.
0: (laughs) Then there was three million Academy members illegally voted for Moonlight. Oh, there we go. Got to bring that in there. Apparently, the Russians hacked the Oscars. (laughs) The Electoral College strikes again. I... (laughs) This one was pretty clever. I still can't believe Moonlight carried Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Yeah, those tough states. And uh, Terry would appreciate this one. I can't believe the Super Bowl and the Oscars were both decided in overtime for the first time this year. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So... Everything, like I said, everything that came before it was wiped out in an instant. And there were some really fun and clever uh, gags, as you were talking yeah. about the the star the of the or the tour of the stars' homes, where these gr- this group of people was brought into the Oscars, <laughs> thinking that they were just getting a, a tour of some exhibit of some kind. And so they were taking pictures with celebrities, who some of which were very uncomfortable, such as Denzel Washington, didn't seem too really? pleased that this is going on. Um, before the show started, I had a little wager with my wife. I said, "Let's let's guess how many jabs at Trump there are going to be." And my wife guessed thirty. I guessed fourteen. How many were there? Here's another way that uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway screwed up the Oscars for me. There were fourteen. Until Warren Beatty got up and said something about something political. He never mentioned Trump, but my wife, of course, counted it so that I couldn't be right exactly. So I was almost right on the nose. Fourteen or fifteen jabs at Trump throughout the show, including a moment when Jimmy Kimmel live tweeted Donald Trump at the real Donald Trump. Are you up? (laughs) <laughs> Hashtag Meryl says hi. Oh, boy. And it had 100,000 retweets in about five minutes.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Then there was some uh, some great running gags between Matt Damon and Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, I hear that was and funny. And that's something that's carried over from Jimmy Kimmel's show. Because he always,
1: yeah, he always disses Matt.
0: Right. One. I think the, the cleverest gag that they had involving that was Ben Affleck and Matt Damon came out to present an award and they announced Ben Affleck and guest so they wouldn't mention <laughs> His him by plus name one. <laughs> so ben affleck would say something that was part of what was on the uh, the prompter and then every time matt damon started to say something the orchestra would start playing music, <laughs> and Matt Damon got frustrated and said, "You can't play me off. I'm a presenter." <laughs> and then they, they they took the camera down to the pit, and Jimmy Kimmel was conducting the oh, orchestra. Of course, great. so that was clever. Uh, it was there was a sweet moment when Katherine Johnson, the uh, the surviving real woman from Hidden Figures, yeah. that the Hidden Figures was based off of, 98 years old, she was there. They brought her out on a wheelchair. Oh, how beautiful! That was a really great yeah. moment. Um, one of my favorite moments was uh, Seth R- uh, Seth Rogen presenting an award with Michael J. Fox. Oh, Seth wow. Rogen, they came out of the DeLorean. Seth Rogen was wearing the self-lacing boots from Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2. And then he said, all I have to do is sing this sister song from Hamilton, and I've completed my entire bucket list. <laughs> so he and Michael J. Fox sang this song from Hamilton, and they panned to Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote yes, yeah, and Hamilton, who was just giddy that uh, his song was being represented there.
1: Maybe I should have watched
0: You should have. It was great. They did mean tweets, celebrity mean tweets oh, that did? Jimmy Kimmel yeah. does on a show, and there were some good ones there. Um, at, for a while, there were just as many Mel Gibson jabs as there were Donald Trump gags, which really? kind of made me roll my eyes a bit. I'm kind of of the opinion of, yes, he did say some horrible things, but... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a decade or 15 years Try is probably long enough so we can let it go. Unbelievable. That's anyway. cool.
1: So it was overall and and Emma Stone won? Yes, that was exciting. That was very exciting. But uh, Ryan Gosling didn't win anything, huh? Hashtag
0: not my best picture.
1: <clears throat> I'm
0: sorry. But again. Sounds like it was a little disappointing I, for you. I know that this movie will go on far beyond Moonlight. Oh, will. I think it will too. For sure. It will. And it won six. Yeah, best
1: director, best actress, and a best song. Of, and a busload of people got yeah. to see front row. You know the Oscars. I'm watching that right now. It's crazy. Jimmy Jimmy Kimmel doing a little play by play. He's a great. Uh, he seems like a great host of the show because he gets. He seems to get away with more.
0: Yeah, he's. Stuff. I mean,
1: and he's all. He was
0: like all over the theater. He had like. some clever bits. I think overall he's kind of bland. Is he? Is
1: but. He? Uh, Yeah, he was at ease anyway. Okay. Good stuff. See how that works, my friends. And, uh, you know, Trump still got mentioned 15 times. President Trump did. It's going to be a while before there's an Oscar
0: moment that was this earth-shattering. Oh, yeah. And I don't think there has been one until
1: last night. History's being made, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be with us. Joe in the know. We'll be talking about uh, CPAC, about... President Trump's address to joint session of Congress Tuesday night. The DNC, it's all ahead folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show. It's Monday and we we know that means Joe Cannon will be on the show. Joe is our Joe in the know. He is was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party. Candidate for U.S. Senate, uh, served in the EPA under um, Ronald Reagan, um, also was named editor of the Deseret Morning or Deseret News. Um, and so he's, he's done it all. And we like to have him on the show to pick his brain, to give us some insight on all things political. Joe, happy Monday to you. Hey,
5: Happy Monday to you, Matt.
1: You having a, are You having a good day?
5: So far, how could it be better? Starting out talking with you. Oh
1: man, oh brother, it could be so much better. (laughs) And
5: and, and really, really, it's totally unpolitical. But was that not the best game? Fortunately, my wife is an absolute Cougar fan. BYU. So, so we watched that game with Gonzaga, and yeah. Come on, honey. This cannot turn out well. And wow! What a, what did,
1: a she what, what did she die? What did? What were her? What were her comments? Cause, no, so BYU beat uh, Gonzaga number one by like eight points.
5: Yeah, yeah. No, it's really exciting, and we were both really pumped. So <laughs> that was that made for a good weekend. I know, I,
1: think. I know. I'm, my kids, um, uh, they they haven't been the same, and even though. You know, they're they're still going to the NIT, I guess, BYU is. But it doesn't matter. You beat your enemy and you beat your, the best team in the country. Life's good.
5: Well, yeah, of course, everyone hopes that it augurs really well for next season. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was a exactly. fun way to start things hey, out. Hey,
1: <laughs> do you think it's true that uh, Russia ruined the Oscars because of the Russia hacking? The, I'm sure Russia <laughs> hacked Price Cooper's Waterhouse's uh, c- computers and then messed the whole thing up. It's always Russia.
5: I don't know. Yeah. So, I guess these days, anything's every, possible. Everything everything can be blamed on the Russians. <laughs> it's true. No, well, the Russians did it. We we, we attribute to them vast powers of uh, intellect. I mean, it, it's just we're thinking now. There, you know, this whole meme about Russia and the elections. You know, we're attributing to Russians the fact that they thought that Trump could actually win. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody
1: Who on earth thought that? Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I definitely
5: think the Russians were active. I don't don't want to say anything that could be good about the Russians. But if if they were hacking, if they were trying to influence the the election, which it sounds like they were. No, I don't want to argue that point. But if anything, it was only to undermine the person they thought was going to be president. Exactly. I.e. President Hillary Hillary
1: Clinton. Clinton. It's so true, that's huh? Cool. I mean that would have taken that would have taken a serious crystal ball to ever guess that Trump really was going to win. What do you think Trump has expected um a big uh, address to joint sessions of Congress tuesday night um How do you think that's going to go down what do you th- what what what's his goal what what do you think he's going to do or say?
5: <laughs> you keep asking me how to predict donald j trump man i I'm sorry i, I... It, it one part of me feels like, okay, this is such a good opportunity for him to be presidential. I mm. Maybe later we can talk about a, a very in-depth Wall Street Journal poll, uh, which – well, I'll just talk about that a yeah, bit. Do it. You know, it just shows a lot of people don't like him very much. Right. His approval rating is underwater, uh, and a lot of people say they don't like him personally on the one hand. On the other hand, they all think that there are things that could be fixed um, by uh, – uh, Trump and his policies so they're they're very they're very supportive of his policies
1: if his policies they, they wish, start to they work wish
5: he would act, they wish you would act a little bit more presidential they, they it's every every new president has you know kind of a shakedown uh you know the getting everything together getting all the right people in the right places in the White House and everywhere but in in Trump's case the according to this poll a disproportionate number of people say that, well, un- that these these more typical problems are actually unique to this administration versus right, the typical growing pains at others. Uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, optimism is up and there's a lot of people say good things about his uh, policies. So
1: and it's what, only been a Tuesday month. Night,
5: what is this? does this? What does this mean for Tuesday night? I, I feel a little bit like the old, famous hackneyed Lucy and you know peanuts uh, <laughs> holding the football yeah. and pulling it away, yeah you keep thinking, okay, this is the time uh this is the time you could sound presidential this is the this is the time you can start winning people over to him personally beyond beyond his base, and lots of people every everybody who's giving advice is saying, please, please do that um But we'll see, you know, the the he the he keeps fighting the election. You know, we you know, it seems like he's in campaign mode, not to be fair. Bill Clinton was that way, too, to a somewhat lesser extent. uh, President Obama was all campaign all the time. Yeah, yeah. But but there is some space there for let's be not act. Let's just be presidential. And Tuesday, tomorrow night could be. You know, a great chance. Times.
1: What about all this leaking? Um, it, because, you know, Sean Spicer is now getting a lot of pushback for checking his people's phones to see if any of them are the ones leaking. And um, there's it seems like it's a leaky. It's a leaky White House.
5: Well, yeah, I mean, to one degree or another, all White Houses are leaky. And sometimes the, the people that they leak to are more. Pro or more anti, depending on, on honestly, depending on the party. So yeah, there are plenty of leaks out of the Obama White House, but uh, most of them ended up in the in the hands of you know favorable reporters. And in this case, though, it's really interesting. You've got uh, a very polarized, uh, very strong personality, strong personality in the White House, but apparently there are plenty of people in the White House willing to leak things. Uh, to either help them or hurt one of their political rivals, Mm. which happens a lot. I mean, that happens a a, a lot in every administration. So, so you see it, but, but there's an unusual amount of like, there's a, there's a Twitter account, which I I haven't seen because I'm not not a big Twitter guy, but it's, it's, it's made up of people presumably or purportedly in the White House leaking about all the, the different fights between Bannon and, Priebus and where does Kushner fit in? Yeah, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the write-off, but uh, but these are people within the White House, and at least the tweets that people have sent me sound pretty credible. So it sounds like real people in the White House really leaking uh, sort of the inside details of things.
1: Is because did did you see the the stuff about with Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon at CPAC? I
5: I actually watched it.
1: It seems like they're pretty uh, united. I mean, they they are completely different personalities and even different, I think, viewpoints, but they seem to like be cohesive in their plan.
5: Well, definitely that was a a show of uh, unity to probably to stanch, you know, some of these leaks, because a lot of the leaks are – about the centers of power around Bannon and around uh,
1: Priebus. Right.
5: But, but if you look, I watched it, I actually recorded it on C-SPAN and, and watched it. I mean, the body language, Mm -hmm. everything was very, very kumbaya, very friendly. (laughs) We're all engaged in this war together. And, you know, Reince has these skills. I have these skills. And Priebus would say, yeah, I have these skills. And Bannon has those skills. And, Yeah, it was a very, very um, affectionate, big embrace in front of, for them, a really crucial audience.
1: In fact, it reminded me, I mean, it it kind of showed me that there is, there's more method to this madness. There's a lot more, it seems like, going on behind the scenes. Everybody gets caught up in the smoke and the fury of it all, but it seems like they're still, they still have an agenda and they're moving their agenda forward.
5: Oh, no, that's my complete take, uh, is that uh, lots of people want to sow the seeds of confusion and animosity. And there always is, you know, these sort of startup problems in any administration. Right. But I am surprised at how relentless they are in pursuing their agenda on on immigration, on trade, on taxes. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot. I think the month of March is going to be very interesting when it comes to uh, you know they've they've got to pass a budget, uh, they they plan to do tax stuff, and they plan to abolish Obamacare. I mean, uh, those are all really interesting, tough, tough things.
1: Yeah, is um
5: yeah, The, the other, what little little glimpse, and I was at a at a meeting, uh, not last weekend, but last week um it doesn't even matter what the meeting was, but it was it was a, a convention. And uh, well, it was, it was a convention of ethanol producers mm. in San Diego. And we're sitting there. There's a lunch. The president of the organization gets up and he reads a letter from Trump saying, I'm with you. I love alternative energy. Um, I'm with you all the way. It was a really positive letter. So. My take on that, apart from any substance there was, well, somebody in the White House did something right. I mean, that's the kind of thing right. that normal White Houses do all the time. You know, they, they recognize important constituencies. Somebody has to look after those constituencies. Somebody had to think of that letter. And whether Trump saw it or not, who knows? But somebody close to Trump did. And, and, it, and it went out. And I, that was the, and to me, that was a, a, a sign of... More normality. Yeah,
1: they're getting their hands around it, it now.
5: White House, yeah, a normal White House function. That's what they do. Yeah. Um, so um, I think that that uh, the whole chaos theory. Sure, there's a lot of that at the beginning, but I think that I doubt that any other administration. Well, maybe President Obama's administration was this way. Was so deadly earnestly focused, laser-like on a particular agenda.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and see and it and um, I mean again, whether you like Donald Trump or not, he's the president, and he's also, but he he sure has a way of I guess polarizing people. But it seems like a lot of the the problems that these candidates are having by not showing up to their uh, to their meetings in back at what are they called to their. Uh, like like town all of all town hall meetings, yeah, all their yeah. town hall stuff. It, it, I mean, it, a lot of that sounds like it's around Obamacare, you, you know, the repeal and replace. But a little a little better communication about what the plan is, if they're getting closer to a plan, seems like you might be able to get rid of a lot of those concerns.
5: Uh, it could be. I, I do. I think there's a lot of anger, uh, particularly on the left, right now. Uh, and I think they're, they're trying to manifest that uh, at these meetings. I don't think it's all manufactured. I know some people do, but I, I just in my bones. I don't feel it's all manufactured. But we're going to have a very interesting test coming up here. You've got, you've got five what are called by-elections coming up between now and June for Congress. So you've got five seats in Congress that are vacant that are going to be filled by June Run, most of them by June. And they will be little litmus tests.
3: Uh-huh. One, of them
5: will be, one of them will be a litmus test. In California, uh, Xavier Becerra, Becerra became the attorney general, and uh, and uh, he got 100% of the vote. So his election in that in that <laughs> district, Trump got 11%, Clinton got 84 I don't think that's going to be very much of a glimpse. Although, who knows? There are a bunch of candidates running. But the others... Even though they're all very likely solid Republican seats, so four of these are around cab people who went into the cabinet: mm-hmm. uh, Tom Price, uh, Ryan Zinke, uh, Pompeo, uh, Mick Mulvaney. All of those seats are up, and one of them is kind of interesting: the the Tom Price seat, which is the old Newt Gingrich seat, roughly. Uh, Trump only won that by one percent; it was forty-eight to forty-seven, and. Tom Price, the congressman, won it by 62%. Hmm. So, uh, so that'll be a anyway, litmus you'll, you'll test. You'll have, you have you know, Georgia, Montana, Kansas, South Carolina. I think there are all of the Republicans are going to stay Republican and the Democrats are going to stay Democrat. But how that vote shapes up, the Republican versus Democrat vote, could be very telling, could be, have some interesting information in it.
1: Well, that's, um, you know, that's good to be watching. And uh, again, something Joe Cannon brings to our attention because we're not watching it. We'll take a break, come back, get more from Joe in the know. I want to talk to him about the DNC um, election for their new head of the of the Democratic National Committee. See see how that went and uh, what he thinks about uh, Mr. Perez going forward. Also, um, talk about the uh, just Trump and, and continue the discussion about what's going to happen going forward. With uh, the Supreme Court nominee as well. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show on the phone with us, Joe Cannon. We call him Joe in the know. He just uh, helps us understand what's going on back in D.C. and in the political realm of uh, of this great country. Joe, thank you again for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Again, you can go find out more about Joe's work at fuelfreedom.org. Joe's trying to lower the cost of fuel uh, here in the United States for us. Just, you know, anything we can do. To save a dollar in today's day and age, it it helps. So, um, Joe, now there was a big uh, the DNC, you know, after the big uh, upset in the presidency race um, and really a major uh, just over time, the loss of houses, of Congress, of the Senate, of many um, uh, local um, legislatures as well. Talk about the DNC. Search for their new head. How did that turn out? With uh, Perez winning, is, is was that an upset? What do you think?
5: I, I don't know that it was an upset. I mean, he was sort of the quote establishment candidate quote. Although everybody was running in the direction of Bernie Sanders. Obviously, Keith Ellison was the Sanders guy, right? But you had Perez. Basically, you know, it's very hard to see. We just read what they all said. Very hard to see. Very much difference, much light between the two, uh, between the two candidates. So I, you know, I think it was pretty hard fought. I, I mean, uh, but you can see the center of gravity pulling further left, even though Ellison didn't win, which would have been a very big signal of a, of a complete takeover on, uh, on the part of the hard left edge of the, of the party. So, uh, but the real problem with Democrats and Republicans, the same problem is that you've got these elections are run at the national level, Mm. but at the local level, it's the local level that matters. And Republicans, I say a problem, it's not a problem, it's it's an issue for each of the parties. Republicans have done a lot better job at organizing the states. So when you look at you just towed up the numbers, and I'm sorry I didn't I probably should have, but if you look at the number of House seats they've lost, Senate seats they've lost, uh, state legislative seats, governor seats, uh, you know it's a, it's a very red looking picture uh, if you're a Democrat, and the way to come back against that is you've got to do something to revitalize the state party structure uh, in the, uh, for, for the Democrats.
1: Do you, do you sense that the Democrats? I mean, because remember there was all this talk that years ago, the eight or whenever it was, maybe uh, four years ago, that the, the Republicans were done. There, it's going to be a generation before the Republicans could ever come back and win a presidency or anything like that. And is and and they needed to go in and recover and figure out a new plan. And do you feel like the DNC's? going that this is the decision with perez at the helm that he'll be able to lead the dnc to a new vision a new future
5: well i don't think anything is changing on the substantive side of of democratic politics they they believe that they won because they did win the popular vote so they actually believe that so you know there's very little rhetoric around uh changing now there were some you know what are called blue dog democrats the democrats in relatively conservative states or relatively conservative seats they got shouted down like crazy it was like they didn't exist and, and in fact they were viewed as uh as really alien hmm. to that process so it, it, it you know the, the, i don't think i heard anything uh i don't watch their pro you know proceedings wall to wall but i watched and listened and read of quite a bit. I don't see any movement to change much on issues. Uh, I think they're more thinking we've got to get our message out more effectively and we've got to revitalize these state parties. So that's that's what I'm hearing. We'll have a really interesting test coming up. I mean, we've talked about this already, but there, there are 10 senators in states that uh, Trump won, mm-hmm. and in some of those cases handily, uh, and actually just over the weekend I met one of the candidates um, in, uh, running uh, the Republican in um, in Ohio against Sherrod Brown, and um, he's a you know pretty attractive guy. He only lost by five points last time. Mm. So anyway, you you could see state you could you could we'll test there'll be a big test about is it message is it structure um are, are they communicating with uh the right kind of voters.
1: Yeah, and are all these because there's a lot of energy on the left showing up, you know, um to rallies and to other things. So will that will that energy convert into votes? I mean, that's I guess the big battle.
5: Right. No, that's that's going to be the issue. So it will be It'll be that. That'll be interesting.
1: What do you think um, with Trump? Uh, because I know you you bring up Israel a lot, and we've only got a couple minutes. But what do you think about the Trump administration's handling of kind of all the anti Semitism and and some and the cemetery issues? And I mean, it, they've been they've kind of been in and out, up and down. What's your take?
5: Well, I mean, I weirdly have a strong take. It I, turns out I spent the weekend uh, in Las Vegas, well, Friday and Saturday, with the Republican Jewish Coalition, very surprisingly large gathering of folks. And um, I had two takeaways of that. Vice President Pence spoke Friday night mm. and actually the Shabbat dinner. Very, that part was very interesting, too. That crowd could not have been more responsive. And he spoke specifically about his trip to Missouri and also the new governor of Missouri, who's also Jewish and a former SEAL, spoke. And they talked a lot about that cemetery experience. And, of course, since then, there's been another episode yeah. in Pennsylvania. So, so but I, I think on the is Trump anti-Semitic, is Bannon anti-Semitic? I talked to a number of people who knew Bannon, know Bannon personally, uh, and they were all you know, it's just incredulous at the idea that he would be anti-Semitic or that Trump would be anti-Semitic. So here you had a crowd, you know, like I say, I was one of the very few non-Jewish people there, uh, incredibly enthusiastic about Trump and about uh, Pence, Pence's remarks. And then all the hall talk, you know, in between the sessions was uh, there's no sense that um that this administration is anti Semitic. And this is from people who are most uniquely peculiarly affected by it. And now you look at some of his appointments, you you look at Freeman, the 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 uh, nominated ambassador to Israel, wow, I mean he is uh, very, very strong on on uh Jewish issues in general, and Israel in particular. So I didn't sense—this is like a real field study for me, because I didn't—I don't know that much about Bannon myself, uh, but hearing people who know him and have worked with him Mm -hmm. over the years—okay, these are all conservatives, no question, but they're also all Jewish, and many of them Orthodox Jews who have—who are very keenly and rightly sensitive to anti-Semitic issues, anti-Semitism. But do Which they just growing? It's, it's a problem. It's a growing problem yeah, in our country, right? In the world, in the world, in general, but our country also.
1: Do they just not? I mean, but they, I guess they could come out and they they could be more. It was like the third time, and it was almost really more the vice president seemed to get the tone of it right, the spirit of it right, pushing back on it hard. It, it seemed like it took the the White House two or three or four times of addressing <sighs> anti semitism. To kind of get it right. Plus, you know, the Holocaust letter and.
5: Well, I would say that the one reason I was so interested in what the reaction would be down, you know, at the Republican Jewish Coalition folks is I was stunned myself at the Holocaust letter. Yeah. Because not only was the letter tone deaf and maybe not only tone deaf, maybe negative in a negative sense, but then the defense of mm-hmm. the letter sounded pretty like a lot of Holocaust deniers might sound. So it was a very, very odd thing, but I think it's considered, I don't think, I mean, l- lots of people said, you know, well, that's just, that was a, a weird anomaly. If you look at the course, the, the direction they're going with with respect to Israel in general, and then some of the statements they're making on anti-Semitism, I think we're very reassuring, at least to to Jewish people who are very, you know, keenly, keenly, sensitive to this
1: issue yeah well joe i mean it's yeah that's why we need you we need you just to help us sort through what's what's real what's not and i mean that's good that's comforting um we appreciate your time again joe Cannon. you can find out more about joe's work on uh at fuel freedom foundation fuelfreedom.org is a, is a, his website and uh, doing what he can to lower the fuel costs here for us in the united states We'll take a break, come back, wrap up our number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, folks, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, again, um, it it does show you with this Oscar mess up at the very end, everyone gets down on Trump. You know, his first month, he also did a lot of legislation and I mean, a lot of uh, a lot of these executive orders. It, it's hard to get things right. And the Oscars show you. It's hard to get stuff right, right. And Even I just, the envelopes.
0: I just uh, discovered online that Emma Stone said that she was holding the card that said Emma yeah. Stone for La La Land. Well, I'm, so I think it a, was
1: Price uh, Price Waterhouse Cooper's uh, mistake. There's a There's a picture on CNN I, that I think it's it's um, the co-host who who announced the award. It was Warren Beatty and Annette or uh, uh, Faye Dunaway. So Faye Dunaway is holding the the. Envelope and the envelope says actress in a leading role. Emma Stone, and so, La La Land. It's, it's crazy. In her hand is the wrong envelope. Oh, how funny is that? I mean, uh... So they printed
0: two of those they and must then
1: they. Have. But That's still, don't maddening. you look at the envelope before you have. hand it to them? I totally would have. And then, yeah, what do you do? Anyway, it's hard to be perfect, isn't it, folks? We'll take a break, come back. Uh, we've got more fun, more ideas for you to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on
3: Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
0: And the award for Best BYU Radio Program goes to... The Matt Townsend Show.
1: The host of the program, Dr. Matt Townsend, accepting the award. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate all the little people. Thank you for voting for me. (sighs) I have a feeling I didn't win. Why is it I can't win? How would it be to be receiving the Oscar and then not receiving it? Having it ripped right out of your hand in front of all of Hollywood.
0: Well, they still got to they still got to say their thank you speeches. They still got to hold the Oscars <laughs> for a couple of minutes and they got to present an Oscar. Those producers would never have the chance to present an Oscar. That's true.
1: They got what a great cuz and it really isn't it more in giving than getting. Yes. Right? So giving an Oscar is really much more valuable than So they getting just did one.
0: three things that most people will mm-hmm. never ever do
1: in Boy, their life. Well, they lives. handled it really well, though, too. Oh,
0: yeah. Because you could have just thrown a tantrum. So give it to both. Well, I don't remember seeing Faye Dunaway on the stage for too much longer than
1: after that flub <laughs> was... Yeah, get, get Faye out of here. But it's sad because on the front of the envelope it actually says, actress in a leading role. So she opened the envelope that is labeled actress in a leading role and then well he opened it yeah looked for another card he knew something wasn't right but then he handed it to her and she read la la land yeah but there's a bunch of people behind the scenes that are in big trouble big trouble so uh we'll we'll have a little fun with that today of course also we will be getting into empty news talking about uh, news headlines that maybe seem important some some really aren't one includes by the way a car theft uh, suspect that falls out of a tree while trying to escape. You know, they treed him. Once you're treed, you're in trouble. Yeah, boo! Boo! Yeah. Plus, some, cow, some cops are warning of cows that are trying to sell dairy products after they've escaped. Cows.
0: That sounds like a bold move. Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the audience. This is, by the way, the Oscar
0: audience from last night. Yeah, this is the audio when they found out that Faye Dunaway had read the wrong Boo.
1: name. Boo! Boo! So we'll get to all that fun, plus five thieves of happiness. You know, our natural state apparently is to be a happy. Ha- be happy. We're supposed to be happy, and it's natural for us, but there's five thinking patterns that tend to steal happiness from us.
0: I think the Robs Academy it. is now one of those five people that steal happiness. No! <laughs> These people are mad. They
1: stole the happiness of the La La Land producers. You know what? I'm pretty sure we will all get over it. It's just an Oscar. It's not like this is Miss Universe pageant. It's not like Steve Harvey's The Blame. Or Speaking, Jimmy Kimmel blamed him.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Oscars, one of Jimmy Kimmel's uh, more controversial jokes from the night came after O.J. Made an America won for Best Documentary. Yeah. He said, O.J. gets an extra slice of bologna on his sandwich tonight.
1: <laughs> That's sad. You know what? O.J.'s getting out soon. Apparently.
0: Uh, and uh, I he think, made I a heard, lot of people happy last I heard night. the next thing he's going to steal is his Oscar yeah. for O.J. Made in America. Oh. Boo.
1: Boo. Boo on that. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun, folks. But uh, first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to?
2: Today, President Trump expected to announce major cuts to the Environmental Protection Agency as he starts to build the budget for the next fiscal year, according to reports. Reports out of uh, several places, including the New York Times. A top official reportedly says we can expect transformational cuts to the EPA, especially when it comes to climate change programs. This, of course, comes as no surprise. Trump appointed Scott Pruitt, who once described himself as the leading advocate against the EPA's activist agenda, to head the agency. Four senior White House officials told the Times, New York Times, that Trump's budget will include unsurprisingly big additions to Dep- Defense Department spending, so he's going to cut from some... To add to defense is kind of the theme of his budget, it looks Mm. like. Bill Owens, father of the U.S. Navy SEAL Ryan Owens, who was killed during a raid in Yemen, says he refused to meet with President Donald Trump when his son's body was brought back to the U.S. because of how the president treated a Gold Star family during the presidential campaign. If you remember the Kazir Khan, uh, he was killed in action, and then his father spoke to the Democratic National Committee, and then Trump went after him and all that jazz. Owens was killed on January 28th. Uh, raid that Trump, the Trump administration called a success. Bill Owens told the Miami Herald that the government owes my son an investigation into that operation hmm. as to what uh, yeah. truly happened there. Majority of Americans believe news organizations are too critical of President Trump, according to a Wall Street Journal-NBC poll. 51% of Americans said the media is too critical of Trump. 41% of the news think the news organizations have been fair and objective. The poll also found that Americans are becoming more optimistic about where the country is headed. 40% say it is headed in the right direction. In December, 33% felt that way compared to 18% in July. Hmm. So as the presidential election you know primaries all that stuff ended people got more optimistic
1: yeah 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 it's amazing now you they're up to 40 percent
2: there wasn't 17 people screaming about it there was only one or two
1: <laughs> that's
2: right so people got more positive just under half of, Amer- of americans hold an unfavorable view of trump 47 percent view the president unfavorably 43 view him favorably so sounds
1: like nothing's changed like right,
2: the election uh and finally a new oreo flavor Oh boy, what? Actually, I have quite a few Oreo. What is an Oreo's deal? Um, you're Pop Rocks? Oh yeah. You Ever had Pop Rocks? Oh yeah.
1: Those are the those were fun in the
2: days. Described as the carbonated candy that makes it feel like someone is unpeeling velcro from the inside of your head. <laughs> it has struggled against many urban legends that continue to persist today, namely that drinking a six-pack of Coca-Cola and eating six packets of Pop Rocks would kill you by exploding your stomach.
1: Yeah, yeah, you would. Yeah, your innards would blow out.
2: The TV show MythBusters proved it wrong, though nobody on the show actually wanted to try it. So, (laughs) chicken. Yeah, Pop Rocks isn't life threatening. It's uh, good news for Oreo fans because Oreo is—they're called fireworks Oreos. Probably coming out more July. Hmm. So they have these little carbonated candies mm. in the cookie mm-hmm. so it's a normal oreo except it's got these now it's not pop rocks they but, made their own carbonated candy to be okay. inserted in hmm. the cookie
1: they're not using pop rocks. it's not like a it's, brand just association a, it's an off thing. brand of pop rocks yeah it's rot
2: so you'll eat your cookie and you get the little pops as you eat it did you uh. ever did you ever eat
1: pop rocks
0: oh yeah and uh kiss your date at the same time uh no that was kind of a thing in college Really? Tell me about it.
1: Um,
2: (laughs) I sense a trap. (laughs) It's a trap.
1: We can't play that Okay, yeah. Interesting. Um, Wow. I think Oreo is just desperate to innovate. They'll throw anything in an Oreo now.
2: It was Peeps last week. Yeah. Fireworks over the summer.
1: That'll be good. I mean, it's fun. Bill Paxton died. That's so sad. 61
0: years old, complications after heart surgery. He's, he's an actor. You've seen him
1: in Twister, in Aliens, in the Titanic. I don't remember in the Titanic. He was one of the uh, the treasure hunters. Oh, yeah, that's right. At the beginning. That's right. So
0: I wonder if his show is going to be canceled now. His new CBS show, uh, Training
1: Day. It's sad. It should be. Did you know that Judge Wapner also be. passed away? <laughs> yeah, Judge. Yeah, Judge Wapner. But he was like 90-something years old. 15 minutes till Wapner. Definitely Pardon. Wapner. Pardon? What was that? Rain Man. Wapner? Yes. Oh, is that, was that – was that – see, you remember little details like that. I just like to enjoy the show and he was, see it lose on at the Oscars. He was 97. That's 97. A lot of death. Come on. What's up with that?
0: By the way, I was in a grocery store one time, saw some Judge Wapner root beer. And oh, the old yeah. tagline on it was, I sentence you to drink
1: my root beer. That's a great sentence. Put some Pop Rocks in, <laughs> throw back some root beer, and then Jeff could go get, I guess in, in college he would go get a, his date. You're going to get me in trouble, but I guess I did bring it up. Yes, you did. <laughs> we'll get you some Pop Rocks. Hey, um, apparently Trump wigs are in big demand in Australia. Like. I mean, oh, no. Like the Whig Party? Hold on. Why does it say in Austria? Carnival season in Austria?
2: Yeah. I was a little confused myself. But that's the story. But it's not Australia. It's Austria. They have carnival season? Carnival is like the prelude yeah. to yeah, the yeah, yeah. Easter But that's like, it's usually days. like, it's
1: Brazil, it's yeah. South America. It's a, it's a worldwide it's, thing. The Caribbean, it seems like.
2: It's probably not as, quote, as you like to say, off the hook as Mm -hmm. it is in Brazil and other places.
1: But it's very restrained. So many people want to be Donald Trump this carnival season in Austria that some costume shops have run out of wigs mimicking the U.S. president's memorable hairstyle. Well, that's just a tragedy. Shop owner Manuela Plank, recognizing a business opportunity, went to work making her own toupees a la Trump Plank uh, thought she was ready to meet the demand with the 10 Trump wigs that she had stocked for Austria's pre-Lenten season of balls and other masked events. But they were quickly snapped up. That's when she started snipping, backcombing, and teasing, spraying blonde hair pieces to give them the trademark Trump look. It all takes quite a bit of time, Plank said. It's hard to make a Trump wig. Many Austrians go all out for Carnival, Plank says. Dressing up as Trump carries extra appeal for people who don't have the patience to create elaborate costumes. Just get a wig, a suit, bada boom, bada bing, put a tie down to your knees, you're done. <laughs> you got the perfect costume. We've learned something today, though. There is a Carnival in Austria. Oh, with I thought you said Carnival. That would have made more sense with
0: this music. Yeah. I did say carnival. Although this does kind of sound like a German... Sounds great. Uh, polka band. For some reason, I want some brats right now.
1: I don't know why. Mm. Uh, crazy story about cops warning. This is in, in Connecticut. If you live in Connecticut, um, our empty news affiliate in Connecticut is reporting that uh, the police there are reminding people to not open their doors to any unfamiliar cattle. After a pair of cows escaped from their pen and were found near the front door of a home a couple houses away. Good tip. I mean, it's a great tip. If
2: you don't know that cow, don't open that door.
1: Always look through the little peephole. See if you see any bovine, I guess, anything, any bovine or anything purporting to be a bovine. Mm. Be careful.
0: I thought they're not allowed to come in, though, unless you invite them in.
1: No, I think no.
0: Is that vampires?
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sergeant Jeffrey Miner says a driver reported seeing a, seeing the cows walking on the side of the road and in yards in Suffield on Sunday morning. Officers managed to take a photo of the cows before herding them back to their pen. Police posted the photo on Facebook, saying two suspicious males were going door to door. We have audio. They were going door to door trying to sell dairy products. Mm. Yeah, you can hear him. He's shy. Yeah, they were apprehended after a short foot pursuit. Hoof? Yeah, it was a hoof pursuit. a
2: hoof pursuit? Interesting.
1: But the cops were on foot. Well, yeah,
2: but, I mean, who are you pursuing? Does the foot pursuit, does it refer to the criminal or the chaser or the chasee? I don't know. Have you
1: ever heard of foot and mouth disease? Could be. I mean, yeah. Something's a foot. Hmm. Police say the cows were able to escape due to faulty electrical wire fence. You know that there were some kids in the neighborhood that unplugged the electrical wires on that one. I'm blaming the Russians. They probably shorted it out somehow. You're blaming the Russians? Everybody's blaming the Russians. It's always the Russians. Um, So in a recap, if you didn't hear it, um, apparently Warren Beatty misread... He, well, that's, he, read, he read what was on the card. They gave him the wrong card at the Oscars. He didn't and, read anything, actually. Well, He couldn't, yeah, he figure, he couldn't make stumped. heads or tails of
0: what he was handed, so he gave it to Faye Dunaway, basically <laughs> saying, you deal with this. Yeah. And she misread it as La La Land because she was given a duplicate card that said, yeah. Emma Stone for Best Actress in La La Land. And yet she's not the one that stayed on stage to explain things. It was Warren Beatty, which I thought was a a class act, because if he hadn't done that, we would have all had to wait another 12 hours to figure out what went wrong. So he just cleared it up right then and there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he took care of it. And that will be
0: I, I can't I can't predict when something that earth shattering will happen at the Oscars in the near future or even in the distant future.
1: Nothing that crazy has ever happened at the Oscars. Yeah, that that was crazy town. But honestly, it shows, I think, all of us that it's difficult to, to you know, get everything right. So maybe this it's is a way... difficult to run an election. Is this a way to teach Hollywood that, you know, it's hard to be president. They can't get every press release right. They can't get everything perfect. By the way,
0: two more uh, interesting tidbits about the Oscars. Yeah. First of all, there was a – about 24 hours or 48 hours before the ceremony, someone was disqualified from one of their nominations. Did you ever see that movie, 13, the the Benghazi – the soldiers of Benghazi story? Michael Bay directed it. Uh -uh. Well, there were four nominees for that movie for best sound mixing, and there are rules that say you cannot – get on the phone and call, uh, basically, seek support for your Oscar. Oh, yeah, you and can't that, drum up so support. Th- there was a man, one of the nominees was calling around people in his branch. He, uh, <laughs> calling people around in his branch, asking for their support. Oh, boy, So yeah. he, he was reported, obviously, because he was disqualified. The other thing Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway's flub was not the only Oscar flub of the night. What? In the in memoriam Uh portion of the show. Yeah. Did you hear about this? I heard about this. Yeah.
1: They put the wrong picture in.
0: uh, Janet Patterson, who passed away in 2016, her name was written on the screen, but a picture of Jan Chapman was on the screen as well. Come on, people. And Jan Chapman is still alive. So that was another flub that Can wasn't as glaring. You all of her friends
1: are like, "She died?" She she looks different. And they, and she they lost not her weight. name. They got her name wrong. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. See, this is this it's a big deal. I mean, this is like the Super Bowl, right? This is huge and those are that's a that's quite a few mistakes. You know what? Um they actually edited
0: this out of the real Oscars. But uh Fay Dunaway didn't actually say La La Land. She said La La Light. Hmm. La 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 Light? Well, cuz you know there was the whole Hidden Fences thing where they had mixed those
1: two movies together. Yeah. She actually said La La Light. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. That, that instead of Mama m- Moon la... Light. <laughs> la
0: La Moon, La La Light, whatever. I I would love to see that movie. It's <laughs> Sounds you dance all the way through
1: it. That's next year's best picture, Miami. Miami. Oh, crazy! Okay, we'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the five thieves of happiness. It's a book out with five different thinking patterns that are robbing you of your happiness, and really all of us here on Earth of our happiness. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll be right back. Happiness is our natural state for each of us and uh, for humanity as a whole, argues our our next guest, uh, Dr. John Izzo. But that happiness is being stolen by insidious mental patterns that he depicts as thieves. The thief of control, the need for uh, the thief of conceit, the thief of coveting, the thief of consumption, and the thief of comfort. He discovered these thieves as he sought the true source of happiness during a year long sabbatical walking through the Camino de Santiago in Spain and living in the Andes of Peru. He's with us this morning to talk about his book, The Five Thieves of Happiness. Dr. John Izzo, thank you so much for being with us.
4: Thank you, Matt. Great to be here.
1: What a uh, what an interesting uh, approach to to dealing with happiness. You you argue that happiness is our default state. It's it's what we really are or should be.
4: Yeah, you know it, it, and and it, it's kind of counter to so much of the happiness literature, you know, that you know makes it sound like we have to go on this heroic quest to find happiness because it kind of the sense is well therefore unhappiness must be our natural state. And I always like to uh, use a uh, uh, you know a new infant as a great example, and think about how easily a child uh, smiles back at the world. Think of the way young children, you know, uh, you know, if they're not abused or hungry, how naturally. And I've traveled in some of the toughest places in the world, mm. yet young children have that natural happiness that we wind up, I think, having taken away from us uh, as we age. So, yeah, I argue it's our natural state, and our natural state as human beings is compassionate cooperator. That's how we have survived. That's why our species dominates the Earth, because we were more compassionate and more cooperative than Mm. any Species in history, so I think it's a misunderstanding of who we actually are, which is the beginning of
1: unhappiness. So, in fact, define for us. Do you have a definition of how you of what is happiness, and is that is happiness different for everybody, or is it the same thing?
4: Yeah, you know, even the word happiness uh, is, I believe, problematic. I used it with some hesitation, but it's kind of the word of our time, right? We all yeah. want happiness, right? Uh, but the interesting thing is the, word, the English word happiness actually comes from the old English word hap, as in happenstance. And so you get a hint that, that happiness was kind of like if good happenings happen to be happening in your life, you get lucky, you'll be happy. <laughs> and I think this is, Matt, the first thing is that for many of us, happiness is connected to our happenings. Uh, and yet the truth is we all know people who have some pretty bad happenings in their life, who, but who are content at peace, who have a sense of, you know, equanimity in the world. And we know other people who have all kinds of great happening is going on in their life, but seem to be routinely miserable. So that ought to be our first hint that we maybe have happiness wrong, that happiness is actually more an internal game than an external game. You know, I'd be happy if I had this or happy if I had that. It's our first hint that happiness is actually about our internal mindset. And that's Really what the book is about
1: yeah it's about it's about paradigms or mindsets and um, so I guess you were did you have this epiphany was there was there one moment in Spain that uh, that just shifted you and, and made you realize this is about mental models
4: well you know I've been studying happiness for uh, you know 25 years now I wrote a, a best-selling book called the five secrets you must discover before you die that you know, I interviewed all these people over 60, uh, 250 of them who had been identified as the happiest older person, someone knew. And and the interesting thing, Matt, is that when I interviewed all those people, I was so focused on what they did to find happiness. And, I, and it was a great book, and I felt really good about the contribution it made. But I think I actually had missed something, because even after doing all these great interviews and this PBS show, I still could not find sustainable happiness for myself. i touch it, but I couldn't stay with it. Uh, and so I took this you know, year-long sabbatical, walked the Camino, lived in the Andes of Peru. Mm. And it was while I walked the Camino for 30 days, walking about 20 miles a day, that slowly I began to realize that when I interviewed these people for The Five Secrets, I didn't focus at all on what they didn't do. And yet I began to kind of, as these what I call thieves of happiness began to show up during this 30-day walk, I started to realize that all of these happy people I had interviewed also didn't do some things. So I talked about what they did do in The Five Secrets. I suddenly realized what they didn't do, and what they didn't do was surrender to these mindsets. So it actually was a process that... Took me really months, and the thieves kind of showed up one by one, and then finally I kind of began to name them. So they didn't show up all on one day, but they did start to show up.
1: Yeah, talk about uh, maybe just talk about the first um, the first thief that that robs our happiness. I guess is is the thief of control, the sense that we need to basically control everything.
4: Yeah. And, you know, we have an online quiz we can talk about where people can take yeah, it later, please. where people can find out, you know, who's their thief. Right. And again, we'll tell them that later. But one of the interesting things is about 50 percent of the people who've taken the quiz so far, and we've had you know, a couple thousand people take it, is that uh, control, 50 percent of the people, their number one thief. Hmm. And control is our desire for life to be anything but what it is at the moment. One of the things I talk about in the book is that all internal suffering, if we really think about it, is is resistance to whatever's happening at any moment. Simple example. I'm listening to this radio show today and I'm in a traffic jam. I didn't want to be in a traffic jam. I wanted to get home. I wanted to watch my favorite TV show mm. or whatever, was spend time with my partner, you know, and now I'm stuck in the traffic jam. Is my unhappiness the traffic jam or my inability to surrender to what's happening at the moment that I can't control? Or maybe I have an intention for someone in my day to treat me a certain way or for a promotion to happen at work. Nothing wrong with desire. And I talk about that in the book. It's our desire for control. It's our inability to say, look, I can't control everything. So my choice in every moment is to still have intentions, still have goals, but to surrender to whatever's happening at every, at any moment. And to in that, and in that process, all kinds of amazing things happen. It happened to really me on the Camino because I really wanted to control how many miles I would walk and where I would stay and who would walk with me, and I talk about that in the book. And within a few days, I realized that the Camino, just like life, had its own plans. And the more I stopped getting these, what in Buddhism is called sticky desires. Mm. It's nothing wrong with desire, but sticky desire is desire that, that my happiness is in this outcome instead of my happiness is in surrendering to whatever's showing up at any moment and working with it
1: boy, what what drives this in us? What is it? I mean, is it is that just the human? Is that the human mind then that has this belief that if we can't control it, or if we can't control it, or that it is even controllable, um, we, it, we could make it better?
4: Well, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that these five thieves are not kind of foreign invaders, they're actually a part of our human nature run amok. So for example, Uh, You know, one of the ways we survived as a species is we were able to control things. We have a very orderly mind. But what we forgot was that we can't, there's so many things we can't control. So this thing that is adaptive and helps us in our day-to-day life actually gets in the way when we let control rule the house, when we begin to believe we can control everything. So I think a lot of these things are natural to us but but we surrender to them you know at at a level where they're no longer helpful for us
1: mm. and um with 50% of the your your respondents saying this is their number one thief uh i i'm assuming that um there's a lot of uh, there's a there, it must be and i i find it with myself how do you let go of your, you know, your in your desire. How do you let? How do you how? And what do you suggest in the book as a way to surrender? Is is it just noticing that you're having these sticky desires, or what leads you to surrender?
4: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that the uh, that the early readers of the book have been really saying they like is that I don't just tell you what the thieves are, but I tell you really how to kick them out of the house. Yeah. And that's really what you have to do with a thief. You got to arrest them and kick them out of the house, right? And so so I really talk about three steps, and they work for each thief. The first step is to notice it. You know, if you think about it, a thief can only rob us uh, if we don't know who they are. You know, if someone's going to pickpocket you and they say, oh, by the way, I'm a pickpocket. Oh, okay, now you can't pickpocket me. So this control thief, the first thing is to notice it. Ah, my unhappiness in this moment is not what's happening as much as it is my inability to accept, well, this is what's happening and I can't control it. The second thing is to stop it, is to literally say, look, it's like a friend of mine says about pity. You know, you can go to pity city, but you don't want to buy a condo there. (laughs) And all the thieves are kind of like that, right? You know, you've got to stop it. Say, look, I'm not going to make a bedroom for you in the house. But then the third and most important step is what I call replace, which is you have to replace it with a different mindset. So in the book, I have five mantras, and mantras are very ancient in the spiritual traditions. They're words or phrases that we use to train our mind. So I have a a kind of a counter mantra for each of this. Mm. You know, I choose to surrender to what's happening in this moment. My happiness is not in the outcome I seek, but in my response to what's happening. So in other words, and, and it's kind of like going to the gym. You know, I work out a lot. And first few months you go to the gym, you're mostly sore. You're not seeing results. You don't want to go. Within a few months, you start to realize you enjoy going, and you see results. And that's what these mantras and this practice is like. You can't do it overnight, but this simple model is very powerful. And then these mantras that you say every day, and of course, in a moment of truth when you need it.
1: Oh, that's powerful. So notice it, stop it, replace it. And uh, so if we can start to notice the thief of control, when we, and, and I guess the signs are more anxiety, more frustration with life, more wishing we could have something else.
4: Yeah, I think whenever you, uh, you know, in each of the thieves, I talk about the kind of um, oppositional energy. So the oppositional energy of control is surrender, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, so whenever you feel, wow, I'm really upset because what I want to happen isn't happening, right? Then you begin to ask, and, and again, I'm very careful in the book to say this is not about not having intentions, but you can have intentions without tension. You can have desires without a, a, a attachment. So that particular desire being the source of your happiness, uh, and so this is a really important distinction for people to make. I'm not saying don't have goals, don't have objectives when you start your day or your right. year. Just understand your happiness is not in finding those things, because you can't control that.
1: Oh, that's powerful. Powerful. And uh, <laughs> and I mean, I because I think through a lot of this with my own clients and my own uh, guests on the show, but... Boy, to just simple things like there there is benefit in having an intention without, um, you know, hating your inability to control it, with surrendering to your inability to make everything happen in your goal. I mean, part of that is what is that it creates that creative energy that probably brings some of the happiness.
4: Yeah, like, so take a a real example. So, you know, I just wrote this book, The Five Thieves of Happiness. You know, I would love it to be a number one New York Times bestseller. I'm doing everything I can to make sure that happens. But my happiness is not attached to that. I can't control that outcome. There's thousands of things that usually have to happen for that to happen. But, you know, uh, I'm going to continue to wake up every morning and spread the message as widely as I can. But my happiness is not attached to that. You know, my happiness is attached to doing everything I can in every moment to achieve what I want and to surrender to what is and to make the most of that when it shows up. And and this is a very powerful thing. Very subtle, but once you really get it inside, it makes a huge difference.
1: You bet. You bet. We will uh let's come back and we'll take a break and continue this discussion with Dr. John Izzo and uh, he's the author of the book The Five Thieves of Happiness. We'll come back and continue this uh I think, I think essential skills of life. will also uncover some of the other thieves as well. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the best you can be in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking with Dr. John Izzo. You can go to his website, website drjohnizzo.com, drjohnizzo.com, I-Z-Z-O, and find out more about his book, Five Thieves of Happiness. Um, this uh, this book, Dr. John, I think it's, I I don't know, I there's because there's a lot of literature out there now on happiness, like you were saying, but I love the idea to, of thinking that humans, as a baseline, we are happy people. We want to be happy. And, and I loved your other term. You used compassionate cooperators. Our nature is good, but we, we learn we, it's almost like we, if we're not careful, we take on some of the negative thinking patterns and almost, um, and, and then I guess that's why you use the word the five thieves of happiness. They end up robbing our own happiness. Changing Yeah, us.
4: exactly. And the point that you made, Matt, is so important. You know, we often look at the news and think, wow, there's so much bad stuff going on in the world. But think about this today 6.5 billion people live in close proximity to each other uh, in the world every day. I'm always amazed how little badness yeah,
1: happens right. on I an mean,
4: average day.
1: It could go so Which much that- worse, John. <laughs> it's so true. Well,
4: it's a, witness. it's a witness to our true nature, right? And these same thieves, as I talk about in the book, that rob us of our personal happiness are the very ones that are robbing humanity of its highest potential. So in the book, we probably don't have time today to go in both directions, but but so people know in the book, I really explore both things. How how are these robbing us as a society as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, because there is the societal level, and I mean, some of the... some of the thieves you talk about, the thief of control, the thief of conceit, the thief of coveting, the thief of consumption and the thief of comfort. Each one of those, I mean, could be taken to even a corporate level, right, to a government level where we're all worried about our own comforts, but we don't worry about kind of the global comfort maybe talk about what's the next, what's the next most um, consistent thief? Uh, If if um, control was number one, What's the, one, what's the next thief that seems to be doing the most damage?
4: Well, another thief that uh, does incredible amounts of damage to our personal happiness is the thief of coveting. And this is the thief that, that makes the reference point for our happiness, how we compare with others. We know this thief is around, for example, on Facebook when uh, someone else gets more likes of their photos or posts than we do. We know it when someone gets a compliment in the morning at work and we think, oh, what are they getting the compliment mm. for? Why didn't I get a compliment, right? It's the part of us that that really uh, I use in each of the uh, chapters on the thieves. I have kind of a mascot for the thief, <laughs> and the mascot for this thief is uh, the, the wicked queen in Snow White, who you remember was yeah. very fair. But she was only happy as long as the mirror said, you're the fairest of them all. So her happiness was totally related only to how she compared with others. And what I love about that story of Snow the Wicked Queen is not only was she unhappy as soon as she found someone was more fair than she was, but her unhappiness wound up ruining the entire kingdom because she tried to kill Snow White. And what happens is when we live in this world of coveting Not only are we not able to be grateful for what's happening in our own lives, but we wind up being in a place uh, unable to celebrate the success of others. And so I talk in the book around, you know, the oppositional energy to coveting is gratitude. Mm. and There's so much great research now to show that people who who even once a day write down three things they're grateful for um, are much happier over a three- or four-month period than those who don't. So again, it's not about not having desires. But it's not like my desire is not in comparison with others. And we know in research on social media, which I share in the book, that that people who are on social media as observers, mostly observing other people's lives and comparing it to their own, are much less happy being on social media. But people who are are involved in social media, celebrating others, getting involved in doing things with others, are actually happier when they use social media. So Mm -hmm. this is a hint that coveting is in the house.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. And, I mean, with social media and coveting – because we always would think it would be – you'd be coveting a tangible, you know, a, a person's car or their home, which can happen as well. But it's it, social media makes it so simple that you're just coveting their their um, likes or their – the fact that they can make such great videos that people want to watch on Instagram.
4: Yeah, yeah. and it, And this is a very subtle – Subtle thief. And 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 what we know it's in the house when we're looking out and comparing our success to to others. Now, one of my other two favorites, other thief is the thief of conceit and conceit is when we really focus on our own success and our own little story instead of serving others. And the interesting thing is that um, we all know that our least happy moments in our lives are when we're sitting around thinking about why we personally aren't happy. Uh, I talk about it in the Camino, you know, that yeah. sometimes I would walk for hours. And remember, I'm walking in part because I want to find sustainable happiness. And my most miserable moments on the Camino were my moments when I would walk for hours thinking about why aren't I more happy? What do I have to do in my life for me to be more happy? Thinking about myself,
3: self-self. Hmm. Yeah.
4: My most happy moments and I share some of them in the book, where when I was, I could see I was of service to others in some small way, when I forgot about myself for a moment. Uh, and also, uh, when you walk the Camino, where thousands of people have walked for a thousand years, it's very easy to feel very small. Oh, you know, who am I? But actually, if you can take the opposite view is wow, I'm a part of this incredible human journey that began long before I came, that's going to go on long after I leave, And if you can just connect to this greater conversation instead of so focused on the small self. And so this conceit is a very powerful one. And as you said, very powerful in the world because we focus on our tribe, our country, our generation, my business. When in fact the most successful businesses, countries, and generations are the ones that focus on how they can contribute Mm. instead of what they can take.
1: We see a major movement across the world today. Um, from Brexit to Trumps to what we're now seeing in France and Germany elections. I mean, this this populism and this nationalism, it's almost like, you know, conceit might be taking us over, but we justify it with the logic that we need to, you know, we need to tighten up our homes.
4: Yeah, yeah. And and, and yet what we know is that uh, why did humans survive as long as we did? Well, because um, we cooperated for the good the greater good. And whether we like it or not now, the world is no longer, you know, uh, you can't really just be in your tribe anymore because things like the environment, things like the global economy, we're all linked together now. So the tribe is now one
5: big tribe.
4: So if we can't figure out a way for the whole tribe to do well, uh, we're not going to do well. And so I think this is a really important shift that must happen for humans to survive. Mm. Otherwise, we'll we'll really do ourselves in, to be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think you're totally right. Uh, th- another thief that, but it goes, I guess it still goes back to your belief that you can have intentions without tension is consumption. The thief of consumption, you know, we, people want to make money. They want to sell products. They want people to be buyers and consumers, but there's still a tension there, right? If, it, if it's, if it's overtaking us, what is talk about for a minute, the, the, the thief of, con, of consumption?
3: Yeah,
4: and and I love that you asked it the way you did, because the thief of consumption, the way I frame it, is not exactly what people would think. It's not just about things. The thief of consumption is the belief that anything outside of myself can make me happy other than my own choice to be Mm. content at any moment. And I learned this when I interviewed people for the five secrets you must discover before you die, where I realized that most of these people really chose contentment moment to moment. Uh, and and here's how you know this thief is in the house, by the way. Whenever you find yourself saying, I will be happy if or I will be happy when, you have to know that you have the choice to choose to be happy now in this moment. And it's such a a, a, a brain kind of freeze for most people to realize that, how much, you know, and we live in a society where we're bombarded every day with hundreds, if not thousands, of messages. You know, you'll be happy if you get this car. You'll be happy if you go online and meet the perfect person. You'll be happy if you know you, you get a new house or take out this loan or whatever it is. Instead of what's actually true, which is happiness is a choice to be content, a mm. choice we actually have the power to make at any moment.
1: Boy, it's it really it's so profound. And John, it's so. Um, it reminds me, really, of, like, the seven deadly sins. It's so moral, and it's it's about morality, but it's not. It's about—it's also psychology, but it's—how do you see this? Because this really is what we want to teach our kids. This is just basic, good, common morality.
4: Well, you know, one of the interesting things, and and, and as you probably know in the book, I talk about, you know, all the spiritual traditions, you know, have— something like the thieves of happiness. Yeah. You know, Buddhism has the hindrances, the Christianity has the seven deadly sins, and, you know, I, yeah. I come from a Christian background, so I have a, a lot steeped in that. But But one of the interesting things is that what is moral also turns out to be what makes us happy. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, even the word in the New Testament for sin, which is a Greek word from archery, It doesn't mean to be bad. It means to miss the mark. It's a word from archery, meaning you miss the bullseye. And so in a way, we often think of the morality and happiness as counter to each other. But I think the truth is that when we, in fact, are not coveting, when, in fact, we are not focused on ourselves, when, in fact, you know, we are surrendering, we're actually happier. It also happens to be the moral way to live a life. And so I think one of the things in our modern age, we've disconnected these two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, there's so much truth. There's so much light in all of these other cultures and belief systems and belief sets. And yet there's so much universal to it too, right? If we would just be open to share these best ideas. Um, I mean, I think that's why I, I love I love your book. And I love uh, – we've we got to have you back sometime to talk about the five that. secrets as well because – yeah, I'd it, love to. See it's that. it seems like it's it's also goes so hand in hand with everything. But uh, Dr. John Izzo, we appreciate your great work. Um again, you can go to drjohnizzo.com, drjohnizzo.com and get the information. In fact, go on there and take the assessment to find out uh, are you happy? Where do you where do you fit in in uh in these thieves, which thieves are getting a hold of you and a handle on you? Power, isn't it? Powerful to to be connected to humanity in such a way and then to to understand that with happiness is who we are. It, we just have to we just have to not be swept away by the other things. Take a break folks, we'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. Welcome back friends. As we learn from Dr. John Izzo that all humans are some way connected, you got to remember too that don't 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 get rid of the bees. Yeah. You can't be getting rid of these little bees because and I saw this uh, McKenna Bous is joining us. I saw the video of this and it blew my mind.
6: Yeah, so These cute little bees. These bees are learning how to play their own little version of soccer, which just makes them seem. You can train so bees smart.
1: to play soccer. You can
6: train bees to play soccer. They'll see the little ball and learn how to, you know, move it into. the They'll goal. maneuver a
1: ball to a goal. Yeah, and then you just give them a little like nectar, and bada boom, bada bing, they're happy.
6: Yeah, and they'll come up with their own new strategies and techniques to do it from the <laughs> bee who did it before yeah. them and improve upon. it. I saw it. a
1: I saw a bee do a bicycle kick over their I mean, falling backwards—it was amazing.
6: I think it's probably a little easier when you can fly. That's
1: true, (laughs) (laughs) but those wings get in the way. So bees, again, they're endangered. That we're losing them. These things are dying off.
6: Yeah, the honeybees are just dying all over the place, which is really scary when you think about how important they are. But as a kid,
1: it was a dream come true because you hated bees.
6: See, I love bees.
1: Did you love as a child?
6: Yeah, my parents they kept bees, and so we always had them in our backyard, and I've only been stung once in my life. Are you, and yeah,
1: because you're pros. I don't know. I mean, I've stepped on 10.
6: I don't know how I haven't stepped on one
1: yet. I don't know why I always step on them. That's unfortunate. So what else did you learn about the bees?
6: So in addition to being able to play soccer, they can use tools. They've learned sort of how to like pull a string in order to get a treat kind of thing. Are you serious? Yeah. They can count to four. Oh, hold on. Yep.
1: How does a bee count?
6: So when they're flying... Um, trying to get to a place, they'll count up to four different landmarks, and like that's one of the ways they navigate. They're like landmark number one, landmark number two, number uh, three. So they can four.
1: fly four landmarks away from their hive, I guess.
6: Yeah, and then they'll sort of like reset. How like, cool landmark is that? Number one, <laughs> landmark number two. Oh my
1: heavens! My kids need to learn this.
6: It would make things a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. So they can do that, and they can also learn their sort of their own version of foreign languages.
1: Oh, really? Hold on. Yeah. Now what?
6: So you know how bees communicate using that little what they call the waggle dance? I didn't they know do? that. Is that how
1: they do it? They yeah, just, they do this little they, dance. They just shake.
6: And that. Jeff him.
1: Jeff communicates the exact same way. Yeah, it he shimmies a little bit. Super useful.
6: Yeah. Um, but Asiatic. Uh, honeybees and European honeybees, they have their own different dance and like different steps that mean different things. They have their own language. Wow. Yeah. And they can learn the other kind of honeybees language and eventually adapt to be able to communicate in that language.
1: That is crazy.
6: They're smarter. than In their little
1: me. tiny brains.
6: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is a lot of times we think we judge animals and insects and things like we judge their intelligence based on how big we imagine their brain is, especially yeah. in comparison to our own. And so we see, you know, insects and bugs that are all tiny and have, you know, a pinbrick for a brain. And we yeah. think they're not that smart. And, you know, size, I guess, does not determine smarts.
1: Well, and they play such a pivotal role in our ecosystem, in our lives. And they're much smarter than we think. Plus, they dress great. Oh, yeah. They've got great color choice. Mm hmm. I mean it was funny to see how they trained them to play soccer. They they dressed a fake bee up with fake bee colors mm-hmm. and they would push the ball around with this stick with a little bee on the end of it. And yeah. then the other bees learned.
6: Well, and the cool thing is is some of the bees were able to learn how to do it without even seeing the fake bee do it. Did they really? Yeah. They're way too smart and huh. it's cool but we're hoping that these kind of studies are going to encourage people to take saving the bees – more seriously, yeah.
0: Well, maybe if they could curb their temper a bit, they need to do something about that temper.
1: But are they mad, or is it just that you're encroaching in their world?
6: If you move slowly around them and you don't like
1: McKenna knows annoy she's... them,
6: they'll just fly around you happy. It's just when you're moving too fast or is that how too you do fast.
1: it? Would you would you go to a beehive as the child? Would you go to the beehive and just move slowly around it, and you're fine?
6: I mean, it was right next to like our jungle gym in our backyard. Like, what just were your a parents fe- thinking? It was just, they were, you know, fine. And you'd go, you can go up to them. And if you're going to like start hitting the hive or, yeah. you know, like swadding at them, they're going to get angry. But
0: yeah, but if they've got a beef, if they've got a beef with you, they've got a problem because some of them would rather kill, they, they would rather die than let, let, let it slide. They're not going to let it go. They, they have a hard time. They'd rather well. die.
1: In fact, and, Jeff yeah. asked me a really interesting question earlier that I, you're probably going to have to research. He wants to know about the birds and the bees. Like, what's the connection?
6: I think you're going to have to ask your parents about that one.
1: (laughs) He was asking me about that earlier. And I'm like, Jeff, that's like, that's something you need to talk to your parents about.
0: But I do
6: have
1: two children, though. Yeah, that's weird. Mm -hmm. That's what's weird about it. McKenna, cool news. That's uh, you just gave us a whole new view of the bees.
3: There
1: you go. You done blown our minds. Good job, McKenna Bows is her name. She's here to amaze us, and you can find her on our social media. Just go to Matt at uh, Doctor Matt Show, mm-hmm. at Doctor Matt Show, or yeah, at Doctor Matt Show. Yep, that's I've got right. so many now. Um, I'm losing my mind. Okay, we'll take a break, folks. Come back, stick with us. Hour number three up next.
5: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
3: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
1: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the show where we give you the latest, the greatest uh, researchers, books, you name it, articles, and plus empty news. news. Matt Townsend News. Matt Townsend News. The news is not empty. It's MT MT news. Many do say it's a little bit empty, though, and uh, we try to give you the latest and greatest so that you can know how to direct your life. You know, take it to another level, for heaven's sakes. Today will be no exception. Um, we will be bringing in uh, Kim Giles from Clarity uh, Point Consulting. Is that right? Coaching. Coaching. Um, Great, one of our top contributors. She's the bomb, Dilly Om, and she's here to help us sort through how not to believe everything you think. Because every time you think something, you think it's right, but maybe it's not right, but it could lead you down a long path to ugliness.
0: And then don't believe everything you hear as well. Totally true.
1: And don't believe what you see unless you see it with your own eyes.
0: I saw something and heard something
1: I didn't believe last night. At the Oscars? Yeah, we'll go with that. OK. Yeah, because La La Land won for the best
0: picture. That I was
1: – I'm sure they were in heaven for a good two minutes. Yeah, then I turned it right off after that, went to bed. Next thing I know, I wake up and all of a sudden, Moonlight won. So the question is, why didn't PwC Who?
0: fix – Price Waterhouse Cooper's. Yes. I guess not everybody's married to an accountant. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, Why didn't they step in sooner? Because back in 1997, I have an interesting quote here. So these PWC executives are standing on the wings of the stage. Yeah, yeah. They're there, stationed in case something like this happens. The director of the academy at the time, Bruce Davis, told Roger Ebert in 1997, if such a scenario were ever to occur... Meaning, if somebody read the wrong name, the Pricewaterhouse people backstage would simply step out on stage and point out the error. They are not shy. Huh. And yet, it seemed to take at least two minutes for this to get fixed. Yeah, I guess you
1: want to clarify, like, hold on. Is that, that seemed wrong. Is but this... they should have been out there yeah. immediately. What they should have done is thrown that big, you know, shepherd staff out there and pulled off those uh, pulled off the actors and then like thrown up an update recalculating recalculating fake news yeah see this is why we're not running it I'm surprised we haven't heard any uh, tweets from Donald Trump about this yet that is pretty amazing I bet we will It'll, it'll come out. It'll come out. So we will be getting into uh, more about Oscar talk plus some crazy stories coming up. Uh, a car theft suspected uh, – suspect falls out of a tree while trying to escape police. I hate when that happens. You got if you're going to climb a tree from a cop and try to hide – Got to hold on tight. That's We've always said that on the show. Hold on tight. We'll we'll get to that. Um, plus, of course, be visiting with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. We're going to have to talk about BYU's win over Gonzaga, which is a big deal. It was huge. Huge. It was a big win. And um, find out what they think because that has to make the season for, for the BYU Cougars basketball team.
0: Didn't they lose to Gonzaga here earlier in the season? Oh, yeah.
1: And they they lost to even a lot worse teams than Gonzaga. So we'll we'll get into all that fun. Plus, of course, Kim Giles will be with us and uh, Hero of the Day. And I'm sure Terry has got, you know, an Oreo story or two. That's what I said I had before. He's got a million of them. So, Terry, hit us with the headlines. What's going on around the rest of the country?
2: President Trump likely didn't watch the Academy Awards because him and his wife, Melania, hosted 46 governors and their spouses at the Black Tie Governor's Ball Sunday evening, the first big social event on the Trump White House calendar. President Trump appeared pleased with the night in his first month in office, telling the governors in his dinner toast that thanks to the first lady, the candlelit room, they say, has never looked better. But who knows? He was also impressed with the turnout. I hear this is a record number of governors, 46, and that's the highest number that has ever shown up to this... To this event this evening that's great great ratings no fact check was immediately available on those information but it's there <laughs> republican uh so donald trump will seek to boost pentagon spending by 54 billion in his first budget proposal and cut the same amount from non-defense spending including a large reduction in foreign aid a white house budget official said on monday we will be substantially upgrading all of our military all of our military, offense, defense, everything bigger and better and stronger than ever before, Trump said as he wow. talked to these uh, what conservative political action mm-hmm. conference on Friday. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll never have to use it, but no one's going to mess with us, folks. Nobody. That's pretty good. The Stockholm International Peace Research Institute reports that the U.S. spends more on the military than the next seven countries in the world combined. So
1: we're going to spend more?
2: Yeah. We're going to up that number. Maybe it's not about spending. Maybe. The impulse of some conservative House Republicans just to say get rid of the whole thing in the Obamacare reform process is not acceptable, Mm. says Ohio Governor John Kasich. As he argued during an appearance on CBS Sunday, Republicans have to reach out to some Democrats in Congress if they are to craft a new health care program that still provides coverage to people. The former Republican presidential candidate said hmm. he goes on and says he concedes uh, reforms are needed to make the system functional and affordable. But he added, we're just not going to pull the rug out from underneath people. Now, one of the ploys are looking at the head of the, the Republican head of the Senate, Republican head of the House, possibly just pushing a bill. Yeah. And daring any Republicans to go against it because they can't get a consensus on what to do.
1: Boy, that might be a great plan. Just force just the issue. It. Yeah, move ahead.
2: make someone actually step up and try to stop it.
1: It's not enough to just hate something. Now you got to have an idea.
2: Yeah. Okay, so Oreos, as we talked about. Yes. You know, the important news. We talked about fireworks Oreos, which are Oreos with a Pop Rock-like candy mm. embedded in the cream. Mm-hmm. So you get that sort of popping, fizzing flavor thing going on as you try to eat your Oreos. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. what yeah. you want. Uh, other flavors that are coming out this summer, reportedly, this could change. Mississippi Mud Pie. Mm. It's a classic Oreo cookie with chocolate and whipped cream flavored inside. Different flavor of whipped cream, but Mississippi Mud Pie says if you're a flavor of Oreo pie crusts, this cookie's for you.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
2: So that could be a winner. Yeah, if they do it right. Sometimes it comes across kind of fake tasting. Um, the other one is waffles and syrup flavored Oreos.
1: Not as much applause on that one. No, people don't seem to love that one. You
2: ever have waffle crisp cereal?
1: Yeah, yeah. It
2: was good because afterwards you had like that syrupy milk Mm -hmm. thing going on. It's like you had a
1: big breakfast.
2: Yeah, and that's what they're going to make the cookie taste like. Okay. So we'll see how that goes. Hmm. So one is Oreo pie. The other one's going to be waffles and syrup.
1: It's not. These aren't making me want to buy them yet.
2: And then there's Pop Rocks and, of course, Peeps and...
1: Would
0: you buy a bacon Oreo? Bacon cream?
1: I don't want – I just kind of want my Oreo. Just, just have just an Oreo. Just keep your hands off my Oreo and then instead just give me some bacon. Just give me a maple bar with bacon on it. I think the uh, the
0: bacon Oreos are just filled with bacon grease.
1: Yeah. No, there's no grease in an Oreo. No. Just a piece of heaven. Just a little bit of cumulonimbus cloud. Hmm. Isn't it Crisco? Sugar. No. My no, no. wife says it's Crisco no, or there. mostly Crisco. I'm pretty sure there's no grease.
0: Or in a it Crisco-like already. product.
1: <laughs> you
0: guys there's also ru- no fat or sugar.
1: You're ruining it for me. Have you ever had, by the way, and this isn't the appropriate, but this is what they called it when I was there. I went mm. to the Yukon, Alaska, and I had Eskimo ice cream, they called it. Mm. But it was basically whale fat, yep. whale blubber with sugar in it.
2: So it was kind of chewy.
1: It was kind of like you put it in your mouth and it it's like a... Spoon of Crisco. You
3: just,
1: just coat your mouth with Crisco goodness, but sugary. Uh,
2: uh, no, no, never had the hey, Eskimo to, ice cream. You, you guys gotta try it. It's really good. There's kind of a shortage of whales. Yeah, in this region of the country. So, so you're taking a yeah. stand, really? Not really. I mean, if it was there, <laughs> I might look at it and think about it, but I probably wouldn't.
1: It's hard to get a whale out of the Great Salt Lake. It's true.
2: A lot of brine shrimp though but you could go hang out on the west coast and wait for something dead to wash your shoulder yeah, there's a lot
0: of those this year and then you can uh,
2: go jump in that and try to figure out if that's edible
0: i could support that because i i think that whales uh, have a weight problem and i
1: am uh, help i want to help them shed some weight don't body shame
2: body shame a whale
1: yeah wow uh, just... a car theft did you hear about this crazy thing car theft suspect falls out of a tree trying to escape the police That was a tall tree. Yeah. Boy.
2: Sudden stop at the end. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Car theft suspect from Tennessee was injured when he fell from a tree while trying to elude the Lake City Police, a report said. Police report released by the authorities said that Jacob Chosey, 34, of Knoxville, Tennessee, climbed a tree on February 19th. Chosey was attempting to escape on foot after reports of an armed man that was acting suspiciously near a local motel. The call triggered a four-hour chase in which several citizens reported that an unnamed man tried to gain access to multiple homes. One homeowner spotted Chosey on her home security camera and notified the police, leading them to the location of the suspect. When they cornered the man, Chosey climbed a tall tree nearby. And other officers climbed nearby trees and attempted to talk the suspect down to no avail. When police tried to physically apprehend Josie, he fell to the base of the tree, sustaining multiple fractures. Whoa. You know, this has to be a
0: common thing for cops to chase crooks into trees. When I was younger, we my brother and I were at a park. Yeah. My brother climbed a tree to get a kite. And all of a sudden, this cop car pulls right up to the tree. And apparently... They were chasing some guy and they thought that my brother was that guy and he was climbing in the tree to hide.
1: <laughs> so uh, did he come down and clear it up
0: or did he just He stay was up in there? cuffs they and chaste, did they chased him. 24 hours later we had my
1: brother back. <sighs> did he is he okay? Did he survive? Is he did he did he have a hard time in jail?
0: Well, every time somebody turns on an electric razor, let's just say oh, yeah. he jumpy. just he kind of has yeah. these spasms yeah. and
1: I don't blame him. Yeah. Keels over. <laughs> wow. Hey, uh, you taught us something really cool last hour about Pop Rocks. Oh, boy. Um, what was your special advice about the Pop Rocks? I had always heard
0: in college that you should kiss your significant other while consuming Pop Rocks. And uh, hmm. it wasn't very... Uh, yeah. Wasn't very special, yeah, yeah. But mostly because I'm not a great multitasker.
1: <laughs> you, you you either have to focus on the rocks or the kiss, right? Yeah. Your wife called in earlier. That's why I wanted to bring that up again. She's did mad. she say she's uh, mad? Don't bother coming. Home. She's, it's just she said you've never brought pop rocks home. Wow. So wait, she – oh, she
0: wants to. Interesting. Yeah. Just saying. And I, I don't
2: know if I would have taken that as that she's interested. I might have been – I know mean, what I would do accusatory. is I, on your way home, go sure. get some
0: Pop Rocks.
1: Well, she is pregnant,
0: so maybe she has a craving for it. Huh?
1: I don't know if you can eat Pop Rocks when you're pregnant. Yeah, there might be a – I hear they make your stomach explode. Surgeon General warning. On oh, that. no, there was, a, there was a study that <laughs> <laughs> your stomach will not explode. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty sad. Uh, let's do a quick review of the Oscars then, because Emma Stone, let me, I just want to clarify, Emma Stone still did win. Best she did Actors. win. It yeah. wasn't, uh, you She know, won.
0: it wasn't Elle Cupert or however you say that in, in French. It wasn't uh, Natalie Portman who wasn't even there. Oh, she wasn't. It was Emma Stone.
1: She's great. She did great. So... so so the what? only one that didn't win that thought they thought they had won was la la land, but they still won six others yes, they just didn't sweep like they thought they didn't get all seven i think it I think it was a shock to everybody, yeah, and again,
0: a clear example of i I was feeling as a viewer that the academy is so out of touch with what other people want to see, yeah because they're this the okay, everybody needs to settle down, including myself mm. Mm-hmm. This is a, an academy that is comprised of over 6,000 members. Of only 6,000 members. Artists, directors, we're talking actors, yeah. cinematographers. But probably not a lot of people. people from
1: Utah, from Idaho, from Iowa. Right. Not a lot right. of middle, middle America. So
0: the Oscars are always being criticized. You know, you on social media, I'm not watching. You know, they're so out of touch. Hollywood is so out of touch. And to a certain extent, that's true because out of all of the nine nominees – Moonlight you made mean, the least amount of money of any
1: of them. But you mean you mean moo moonlight or uh, la la light? Yeah, la la light. La la. la la light. Yeah, yeah. But, so see, nobody that, even really saw it. You saw it. Yeah. I saw it by accident. But it's. It, but honestly, <laughs> it it really it was amazing to see the journey of of a black inner city American in in Miami. That really was amazing. So I like I took away a lot from it. I really did. It's just it's not one that my kids will be going to and it's not one that you know, it's just but it did move me. Well, another interesting thing about the Oscars this year, I feel like
0: statistics at the Oscars are becoming kind of diluted. They're becoming more like Sports statistics, because one one uh, statistic that they were keeping their eye on this year was there was the possibility that Denzel Washington was going to win his third Oscar. Right. So they were saying this will be the first African-American actor to win three acting Oscars. Or they were also going if he won, that would have been three of the four acting categories would have gone to or awards would have gone to African-Americans, which was a big push a few years ago. Right. But think about this. Everybody's saying how racist the Oscars are, right, yeah, that you're only seeing them by color and you're not voting for them, you're not giving them these roles, and yet they're pointing out that these African Americans are setting this record yeah they're, they're, so they're recognizing their race as yeah, well, yeah. So it's kind of a, it's kind of hypocritical, in did, my
1: opinion. No, yeah. Did, did you Not hear... to take away from anybody right. that won. Well, I think that's a that's a whole other discussion, right? It's like, should right. we even? I mean, are we going for acting? Are we going to make sure that because every minority of every? Because what about Hispanic Americans? What about mm-hmm. every other American? But, yeah, did you hear? Uh, Steve Harvey has sent out a little um, message to Warren Beatty oh, no. that just says, "Call me." Because oh, he knows exactly yeah. what is going, and you know, he's not even the one that misread the card. He, he was, handed he it was, to well, but some would say he, you know, he he hand, you know, he he was a, he scapegoated. What's her name? I
0: think maybe he was trying to see if she could make sense of it. But she yeah, it may, right have, in. may have been throwing her under the bus a little bit.
1: Hey, you do this one thing,
0: yeah. Now I I made this comment about African Americans winning Oscars. That's not to say that it wasn't a big deal when. Uh, the, I can't remember her name offhand, but it's Hattie something or other. She won Best Supporting Actress for *Gone with the Wind*. So, back in 1939, the re- another reason this was so huge. Yeah. The the place where the Oscar ceremony was held that year was a hotel that didn't allow African Americans. Oh my heavens! Is... So they had to get special permission for her to even be there to collect oh, her award. Yeah. So that I mean that is groundbreaking. That, that that's is. monumental. That is. But now, like, oh, it's the first time that three actors have won three of the four awards. It's like yeah. or are three black actors. You, now you're just focusing on the
1: race, Man. which is what you told us not to do in the first place. Right. Right. Okay. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Kim Giles will be joining us. Don't believe everything you think. She's going to coach us through some of our thinking patterns. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. In studio with us is Kimberly Giles. Kim is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. If you go to her website, ClarityPointCoaching.com, it's a great website. Tons of resources. We try. More resources per pound than any other resource.
7: <laughs> I know. Lots <laughs> of free stuff. It's
1: good. Go check it out. It's super good. And uh, you, um, today you want to talk to us about don't don't always believe what you think. Yeah. Because we, we do. We think, oh, I thought it, so it's got to be right. I mean, I've never been wrong. I
7: know. It's kind of like that saying, if... You read it online. Just because you read it on the internet doesn't <laughs> mean it's true. It's
1: so true. Half the news is – Fake news. Is, yeah, fake news, <laughs> Fake right? thoughts. Half of our thoughts are fake.
7: They really are. Yeah. They're, they're largely our imagination. And our imaginations are amazing. Oh, yeah. And And don't you th- – I know you agree with yeah. me, Matt, that, that we've got fact. Yeah. And then – Everything else is story, oh, and yeah. really we're so caught up in the stories that our imagination creates that very rarely do we just see the facts.
1: Get, you know, and, but we can spend hours talking about stories and even trying to solve stories that aren't even the real problem because oh, we yeah. don't question our thinking. We don't. So we, so, so we live that in delusion stuck, right? to
7: a large extent. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly – I ask my clients when they tell me their story. Uh, can you recognize how much of that is story? Yeah. Because uh, you know the facts where your husband came home grouchy and said this. Everything else you've added to it is completely story right. you're making up, and we believe it, and we believe it so deeply yeah. that we're then only looking for evidence to prove that we're right about the story we made up.
1: So true. <laughs> And it just goes on, it goes on, and and on, and on, and on and on. Now, is it? But the always thing, I, the thing I always wonder about is, it's hard to question your thinking because what would you question it with?
7: True, right? Because it's all you can see, right. right?
1: And if you only know
7: what you know, what
1: you know, and you're unwilling to open your eyes to other things, then I mean, it's like sometimes you just need to be able to suspend your—I call it—suspend certainty. Just allow another thought in. Yeah, and just bang I around often say in your just, head. Just
7: play with what other stories you could tell yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because really, if we sit down and 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 actually write them on paper, I think it's the most powerful. Yeah. What other meaning might I apply to this? What are my other options to think it through? Most of us can see other options once mm-hmm. we ask that question. Right. But the problem is up front, we're not looking for other options, and as soon as we make up a story. That we believe we start feeling emotion around it uh-huh. and as soon as that emotion comes in we're convinced we're right because we feel this <laughs> bad about it we
1: think the feeling is accurate
7: and it's proof that, that our story must be accurate right, right? right because right. if it wasn't accurate i wouldn't feel yeah. this way
1: except how many times have you felt something only to be proven wrong a minute later
7: absolutely so I, I had an interesting experience years ago out on a boat in the middle of the ocean in a terrible storm. And from everything I was seeing, the facts meant we were going to die.
1: <laughs> You're done. This was it.
7: <laughs> yeah. The boat, we were we were sure going to die. And a lot of praying was going on. And, and finally, uh, one of the drivers of the boat came back to check on me. And I, I stood up and grabbed him by the shirt and begged him to turn the boat around. How much around. time
1: do we have? <laughs> yeah. This isn't
7: worth it. Let's just go back. And he he basically said, "Lady, go back to your seat. This is fine. We drive through this kind of weather all the time. There's no no issue here.
1: Relax, lady."
7: And I'm, are you kidding me? This is normal.
1: Yeah, this is nothing.
7: This can't be normal. But but as I went back to my seat and, and thought this through, <laughs> okay, this guy knows a lot more about ocean boating than I do, yeah. and and I got some more information, and I trusted him that he knew what he was talking about, and it completely changed my perspective. Mm. And the weird thing is, I actually started having fun, So now I'm in the same boat with the same Literally, storm. yeah the The situation hasn't changed at all, but the way I feel yeah. completely different. See,
1: but that was you that's the point, right? that we when we don't question the thought behind it or the feeling behind it, then we don't get more data. right And we when don't you even don't ask. have more data, then you're stuck. You have to live out that reality because you have to live out the level you're at. Right. You had terror. Then a little more data (laughs) gave you fun.
7: Then I started having fun. Mm -hmm. So this may involve bringing in someone from outside of your situation to give you a more objective viewpoint. Yeah, there you go. Which is why you and I talk so much about people getting help sooner. Mm Mm-hmm. Because we tend to wait until those fake stories have just demolished our marriage and, and our life is in shambles. And now maybe I, yeah. I ought to get some outside perspective. So true.
1: Have you ever noticed though that – and this happened just recently at a dinner where the fake stories are told so often and so consistently that – and then it gets to a point that nobody wants to push on the fake story even though everyone knows it's fake.
3: Yeah. And we're, so, it's so actually our it's an, comfort zone It's enabling now, isn't though. It? So then all
1: of a sudden everyone enables, well, yeah, I didn't do this because – and they give you the same old excuse they've given you for 20 years. And I, you're like, I okay. also think
7: we're drawn to people that would buy into to the story exactly. and, and validate us. Uh-huh. Right? We love to be able to tell yeah. this, this story and have people just, oh, yeah, that, that right. is terrible. You're, you're yeah. exactly right. You are taking advantage of – Right.
1: And, and yet – it doesn't serve them long term. And if you push on the story, then everyone thinks you're a jerk. But if you go with the story, everyone thinks you're a saint. But you're just enabling the story yeah, the to continue. the story, the
7: delusion. And then
1: we all pretend like it's not a delusion and let's do it again tomorrow.
7: So if you go find somebody that's more of an expert, yeah, <laughs> don't just go to your friends that validate and ask them to tell you because, yeah, they're going to tell you what you want to hear. You really
1: need a friend that pushes back once in a while.
7: You do. And if you don't have one of those, then you need a coach yeah, a or coach a, a counselor or, yeah. or somebody that will actually give you the full so objective do we, facts. So what do
1: we do – so give us some, some thought management. How do we go about doing this? How do we go about helping others see – how do we do it?
7: Yeah. Well, helping others see is tricky. Yeah. When you can tell that they're in story mm-hmm. – I think it's best to just ask a lot of questions about the story. And it, do you think there's any other way you could look at this? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, maybe that's true, but I, I can kind of see there could be other reasons this is showing up in your life. So ask a lot of questions. Don't go in and just try to tell them they're delusional because the walls will go right, up and right. you're, you're not going to get anywhere. Right. Um, and if they've been
1: at it a long time, they've got a lot of stories. Oh, yeah. So you could, every – Every iteration would just be another story, another story, another story until we're getting that there's something deeper here.
7: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's tricky. Um, I'm a big believer in asking permission because mm-hmm. on occasion yeah. I really want to suggest to someone that maybe they're not seeing it accurate, ask permission to go there first. Yeah. Ask them, would you be open to letting me share a different perspective that yes might mean you're not seeing it accurately, but it might also make you feel a lot mm-hmm. better, right? And and get their buy-in. And if you don't get their buy-in, I wouldn't
1: it, waste your yeah, breath. Yeah, to you'll try be to beat, do it. Yeah, it's a dead horse.
7: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing I want everybody to watch for: Are you familiar with the term confabulation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think this is it's an a great interesting term, isn't one, it? Yeah. right? So. Maybe you could help me explain yeah. what it means. In psychology, it means I've got this emotion that tells me my husband's a jerk and treating me bad. So I'm going to go back in the past and basically recreate
1: yeah. gather data the, points.
7: The things that happened to prove I'm right.
1: Uh-huh. And you you're making up the story. You're fabricating. You're fabricating. And and you're using you're using data that's real, but you're, you know, picking and choosing your data points. To confabricate in a way.
7: Yeah, yeah. Just to support whatever you want to believe yeah. is true. Yeah. So We're really good at that. We are so good at that. Our imagination, there's just no end to yeah. what we can fabricate. So I do have a, a bunch of questions you could ask yourself to try to get clarity and make sure you're seeing something accurately. So the first one is if I stopped feeding this story – and thinking about it and dwelling on it and let it go as inaccurate, would the problem still exist?
1: Mm, that's great.
7: Because a lot of the time, if we stop thinking about it, the reality is that there's nothing there. Yeah, it's going to no go. No problems away. there.
1: It, that's true. If I, if I quit energizing, it would have just disappeared.
7: Because really, I'm the one who's creating it, so it might.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's a great question. By the way, the questions are good because it's getting you to question your thinking. Right. It's Absolutely. it's it's taking you out of reactive thinking to kind of frontal prefrontal cortex where thinking. you
7: step back and uh-huh. actually watch what you're thinking as the observer. Yeah, that's huge. Which Oh, it's an amazing experience, but it takes some practice. Yeah, totally. If you've never really done it. Do we have time yeah, for another do, one? Let's do one more. Yeah. OK. Own complete responsibility for how you're choosing to feel at this moment. Your feelings, you're choosing because you, no one can make you mad. They can do something unkind towards you, but you picking that up and carrying it and choosing to carry that anger, that is on you. you got to own that. And and this is a big one for all of us. As a matter of fact, I got a little bit offended over something last weekend. And I immediately started, okay, that's one option. I can be offended, but yeah. what kind of day is that going to create? Mm-hmm. And if I choose to carry that all day, that's on me. Oh, yeah. It's totally on yeah. me. So we've got to grow up and own that we are in control of our reactions you, to what happens. And you happens. can even
1: have the reaction in the moment, mm-hmm. I've found, and reverse it you know, a half hour later or 10 minutes. You can't reverse what's happened, but I don't need to carry it the rest of the day. See, we're always. I always feel like, well, yeah, but Kim, I'm not perfect. I can't. Get rid of every negative thought the second it happens. Okay, then have it. Yeah. But five minutes later. Yeah, if you want to. (laughs) If you want to bathe in the pity party, right? Just uh, our last guest talked about, feel free to have a pity party. What was it? Oh, it was such a great quote. I'll find it. Um, But don't
7: Don't live there. Don't make it permanent. Don't live there. Yeah. So I, I think for all of us to accept the fact that that's truth can be a stretch yeah. because it's a lot easier to blame our emotions on other people and they made me feel this way. It's a real step towards emotional maturity when you can own it. Oh, yeah. Take personal responsibility for how you're choosing to
1: feel. Doesn't that uh, just because it gives you it gives you something to do and others to be an actor instead of being acted upon. It gives you a Which means a role. you're not a victim. That's right. Right. Yeah.
7: If you're powerless in it, there's nothing you can do to change it. And the reality is we see a lot of people whose situations are horrific. Oh, yeah. Terrible life situation. You can't always change that. Mm -mm. But you can always change how you're seeing the situation, which will change how you feel about it. Totally.
1: Totally. Kim Giles is her name. We'll take a break. Come back. More from Kim at ClarityPointCoaching.com. Go check it out. Great resource. We'll continue the discussion of how to uh, question your thinking. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles is joining us. And uh, Kim is the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching, a popular life coach, author, and speaker. She um, she is a prolific writer. She, If you can find out any, all of her articles, you can find at her website, claritypointcoaching.com or on ksl.com. Yep. They're all over the place. Today, Kim's talking to us about don't believe everything you think. So you got to question your thinking a little bit.
7: Yeah, because really your whole world and everything you're experiencing is coming from the perspective you're choosing to see it from. Right, right. So we have so much more control oh. than we like to believe we do.
1: And, and what, that was one of your points is you, have, you, you get to make choices. Absolutely. And every, you don't get to make choices for everything that happens to you, but you can always choose how to respond. And we want to know that we're in charge of our thinking, even if we're not always immediately in charge of it. I mean, like, we don't know. Oh, I just had a thought. I got to control that. But we can eventually go back and rethink it and create a better response.
7: Yeah. Actually, I, I had an opportunity last night to speak at an a inpatient place for teens with autism. Hmm. And these were sharp kids, really, really smart. And we brought up this topic. And one of them said, well, but the way I'm seen it's the only thing I know. I, I don't know anything else. So how am I supposed to change it? And – Great question. Yeah, the thing is, the the first step is you've got to accept that there always is other ways to see it. Yeah, and maybe you need to involve some other people. And like we said before, not necessarily someone that's as negative and and is going to validate your your victim story, right. but somebody who's out of that right, who can see it a little more clearly. And it's it's a fascinating thing with all of my clients. I will just sit back and say, well. Tell me your. Think of every option you can come up with. Let's just write them mm-hmm. down. Let's play with you it. You
1: brainstorm it. What
7: other it. options? Well, I could be even more miserable, and I could just hate them. And uh-huh. yeah, you could carry that for decades. Yeah, that's one option. Right.
1: You could be all punitive. Right. You could get them back. You could destroy their lives.
7: Absolutely. Yeah. But what's that going to create for you? Right. Well, because that's the the next step. Once you write down all these options, where would they lead you? Mm-hmm. What kind of results would they create? And I love working with people on a forgiveness issue, yeah, and helping them recognize that yeah, you can hold on to that, but it, but if you decide to literally put that person in prison in your mind and and find them as guilty, you have to stay in prison too. Yeah, serving somebody's got it. Yeah, the warden and the witness against them, and your whole future's dark. Right, just as dark as theirs. So we gotta we gotta just. Sit down and brainstorm. Mm-hmm. What other options? What other positive? What other story spins can you put on it?
1: What other reasons? I always say, why would a loving, decent, caring, amazing, wonderful person do such a thing? Why would Why would just a normal person treat you that way? Just,
7: yeah, what could be going on yeah. with them that would, would put them well, in they that would, place? And the
1: answer is, well, they wouldn't. A good, decent, <laughs> loving person wouldn't do that. Okay, so, but why would you do it? Well, I would never do it. <laughs> Okay. And around and around yeah. you go yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough though. But I guess dumb. this is the the energy of making the list would be to kind of get you out of your rut, to get you to broaden your brain a bit, your mind a bit about what the options are. There's more than just the negative interpretation. There's 500 other ways to see it.
7: Absolutely. So, I'll give you I'll give our listeners one hint though that will always lead them to a good other Perspective, yeah. and it actually came from Viktor Frankl. Yeah, sitting in the concentration camp in a horrible situation, worse than anything we can imagine. He posed the question: Am I here for a reason? Was there meaning and purpose for my life to end up in this place at this time, hmm. or is it just random bad luck? And he pondered and pondered. Was it just crazy bad luck that I got captured when I did, and I hmm. ended up here, and it doesn't mean anything?
3: Right.
7: Or Is there a reason I'm here? And the more he thought about it, Matt, he realized there was no way to know. There's no way to know absolute truth if the experience you're having right now has purpose and meaning and a reason that you're here or not. Right. And he said, well, that leaves me with I get to choose a perspective. So which perspective would help you to behave better, feel better, rise to the Mm. occasion and actually create something from this? And he decided seeing life as a classroom and that there's purpose and meaning for our education for us to be in any situation you find yourself. If you were to look at it as a lesson that was here to serve you, would it would it prompt you to rise to the occasion? Yeah. And use it that way. And so we encourage our clients to constantly play with the idea that there is purpose and meaning in your situation and see how that changes how you feel about it
1: that's powerful and it,
7: it really does it completely changes my perspective on everything
1: because and it makes it also ties it to why you know tying it to a God that's sent you here to learn and to grow and to find goodness and to be good that could be so powerful too because you've got this. Inherent learning purpose.
7: Absolutely. And I really believe that that is why we're yeah. here. And all of the lessons that show up in your life, at their core, they're about love. They're about teaching you to love God, yourself, or other people.
6: That's powerful.
7: And if you really look behind whatever messy situation you're in right now, you can see ways that it might be here to teach you to be more loving.
1: And and, and it will. I mean, So the minute you see that, it becomes – a learning experience, not just sheer torture.
7: Right. Not just – the universe actually isn't against you just trying to drive you crazy. Right. Well, Viktor Frankl
1: proves that, right, thinking this idea that I want to go teach this to people. I want to – he didn't envision his – teaching his students and his – the people that he could go show what he learned inside of these camps. All of a sudden, it gives you meaning.
7: It does. And look what he did with it. Uh, He wrote a book that's one of the most influential books ever – written
1: and turned ugly ugly bitterness into profound change.
7: Yeah, that's changed the lives of millions, millions around the world. What could we do if uh-huh. we chose to use our experiences that way, not only to help others but to improve ourselves and really rise to the occasion?
1: Huge. Okay, give us one yeah. more thing. What's the one what's the one thing we should do today with the thought, I guess I guess recognize our thinking might be getting in the way. Yes. But what what would you so say?
7: feed yourself with the positive. Find positive people who see life in an accurate, balanced way and hang out with them. Yeah. Read books. Listen to podcasts and, and things that, that strengthen you to have a positive outlook because you are going to feed one of these stories. You're mm-hmm. going to feed the negative or you're going to feed the positive. So just – Take control of that. Choose the positive.
1: Love it. See, Kim? That's why you're the boss. Kim Giles is her name, folks. Go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com. Clarity Point Coaching, great resources. And uh, what's the tab where there's a ton of activities?
7: Uh, Resources, but also check out our Get Clarity event that's coming in March. It's going to be amazing get, to get you started.
1: Get Clarity event. Good stuff. Kim, thank you so much. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show Dr. Matt here. Hey, let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Oh. Jeffrey. No? We don't get to talk to my good friends?
0: They canceled on us.
1: But it's, we're going to Gonzaga. We got to talk Gonzaga.
0: Now you know how it feels to have something but, pull out from underneath you but, at the uh, last second.
1: So I didn't win going. You didn't win. <sighs> But I thought we were going to go talk about how BYU beat Gonzaga and now we're not. (sighs) Now I know what it feels like to be La La Land. L.A. L.A. Land.
0: Now I know what it feels like to be Warren Beatty. Yeah, that was good.
1: Or Faye Dunaway. No, she just uh no, she Mark. ran away. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did they got her off the Okay, so we're not going to go visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, but nonetheless, remember BYU did beat Gonzaga by 9 8 points. So that's a that's a really good um Yeah. It's a really good sign. Okay. This whole Oscar fiasco um it, it does make Steve Harvey grin.
0: And it Because she sh- took a
1: beating for <laughs> blowing the Miss Universe announcement.
0: You certainly don't hope that other people will mess up, but when somebody else does mess up, it sh- surely makes you feel better yeah. about yourself. Yeah. It's not like it's all about me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not. I didn't make the mistake. Did you know this isn't the first time this has happened at the Oscars? No. It
1: well, ha- now
0: it's the first time it's happened with Best Picture. Okay. But back in 1964, Sammy Davis Jr. announced – the wrong winner.
1: Oh, no way. Really?
0: Yes. So the category was uh, Best Score Adaptation or Treatment. So I didn't even know there was an a, a Best Adapted Score category. Or a Treatment. Yeah. I mean, I've had a Treatment before, but it would never win an Oscar. <laughs> so uh, he announced the winner as somebody who wasn't even nominated for that category, and neither was the film.
3: Oh. So –
0: Oops. He quickly improvised and said, they gave me the wrong – this is Sammy Davis Jr. They gave me the wrong envelope. Wait till the NAACP hears about this. <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said? That's so – and then it goes on to say the mistake was swiftly rectified. This is from Yahoo! Movies uh, because although uh, the, the card that Davis originally read spoiled, the subsequent – the man that, that he called up was actually the winner for the next award. Oh, So not only did he call the
1: wrong name, but he spoiled the surprise of the next award. Oh, really? <laughs> so he ruined about 10 minutes of the show. Right. But he made a great joke. I mean, that's why it's hard. It's hard to be perfect at this stuff. But again, like it, it nobody knows what goes on behind the scenes on these shows. Like you just think we're just naturally have this much information – but you know, there's a lot. We have eight or eight producers, I believe, behind the scenes, just on the Matt Townsend show. Can you imagine how many people are on the scenes behind the Oscars? And we never make a mistake,
0: right? You know what, though, it kind of makes me hope that they'll take another look at uh, firms such as Deloitte and Touche. Ooh. My wife worked
1: for Deloitte and See? Touche. Now you're trying to get or business for Deloitte and Touche. Bernstein Young. Uh huh. What about them? Or what about? Didn't we have a law firm here that um, advertises with us? Was it Pepion Pepion and Leibowitz? Uh-huh. What about them, PPNL? Jeez. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to try to I'm not here to get everyone a job. But Pepion Papillon, and Leibowitz, they're one of the greatest law firms around. Right, and talk about being prejudiced.
0: They've used the same accountants all these years. Right, right. It's time to make a change. (laughs) They they need to take
1: a look at the man in the mirror. That's a great song. Good job. (laughs) Uh, Man, listen to this crazy story. A man beat up uh, a truck with a baseball bat and he left a note. Again, that was nice. I mean, yeah, if you're going to leave damage, you may. I mean, have you ever gone out to your car and, and it's like totally destroyed because somebody beat it up with a bat? I would instantly feel better about it, though, if there was a note left. Yeah. yeah. Because they took the time. <laughs> Police in Western Colorado say a man battered someone else's pickup with a baseball bat and then left a note acknowledging he had anger issues. Police say the note read, Sorry, S O R R Y Y, anger issues, I S U
0: S E S H. See, again, if I, knew, if I knew what was going on, if I knew that that man was diseased, it's a disease.
1: Uh, anger issue? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a disease. Oh, there's definitely a dis-ease there. Two witnesses told police that another snowmobiler apparently thought the pickup had parked too close to his vehicle. The witnesses say they heard whacking sounds, and one saw the other snowmobiler swinging a bat. Why would a snowmobiler have a bat? Well, you got to knock all the snow that's stubborn. <laughs> the stubborn snowbat. They told uh, police that uh, they insisted he leave a note. Um, the, the, those are the, the people that were witnessing it. They say he was then able to leave his parking spot with no problem. Police say they arrested 53-year-old man on criminal mischief charges. You know what, though? Most people wouldn't even leave a note. I know. I think it was, I think it was big of him. And apparently we've learned leave a note, bring a bat. Man, hey! It's time for the hero story. The hero of the day. Um, there is uh, there's a great uh, hero being held. A hero after a Kansas bar shooting, the victim said he did what he was uh, was naturally right to do. In a video posted on YouTube, Ian Grill Griot uh, has his neck in a brace and is surgically repaired, hand bandaged and protected. He has heard, he says in the footage, that some have called him a hero. No, it's not like that, Griot said. I was just doing what anyone else would have done for any other human being. It's not about where he was from or his ethnicity. We are all humans. I felt I did what was naturally the right thing to do. Griot, 24, says he tried to intervene on Wednesday night when gunshots rang out at Austin's Bar and Grill in Olathe, Kansas. In the aftermath, investigators are working to determine whether the fatal attack, which left one Indian man dead, was bias-motivated. Authorities have not called the incident a hate crime and have not released uh, details in the attack. The Kansas City Star reports that the shooting occurred shortly after halftime of the KU basketball game when the bar was crowded. And according to the newspaper, Adam W. Purinton, a 51-year-old man, has been charged with the shooting, reportedly opening fire and telling two people who were both Indian men to get out of my country... One of those two men, 32-year-old Zirivanis Kukibolta, later died after the wounds that he suffered. And, um, you know, again, folks, you don't have to always just throw yourself in harm's way to be a hero. Sometimes you just need to be willing to see everyone as equal humans, right? Fellow citizens on this crazy big ball of mud we call Earth. That's the show, my friends. We will be back again tomorrow and giving you more ideas, more information to help be the good in the world. Until tomorrow, let's make it a great one and take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.